Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, hello again, my friend, and welcome into another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, this monthly look at what's streaming in movies, in television, and in music. And man, I got to tell you, it's a little bit surreal. It's been a while since we did this, but for our big end of the year wrap up in this year, unlike any other and unlike any that we will hopefully ever experience again, <laughs> we are live together. We've got Andy Sedlak right here for beaming in from his uh, studio in Cleveland. I'm yes. sitting, I'm not in my closet this time. I'm in my basement uh, in Columbus so that he could actually see me because we're on Zoom here. Um, and we're doing the show together, man. How's it's, it's good to be with you again. It is great to be with you. And yeah, you know, I know that you typically do the show from your closet. So when, when I saw your screen, I was like, God dang, that's a big closet. That's a, this. <laughs> I took it out like, of the closet. This boy, this boy is living large. That's there are walk-in closets, and then there are walk-in closets. Yeah, this would be a pretty serious one, but uh, no, I, I, I've come out of the closet, as they say, and uh, good for you. Here, <laughs> just just being me, and um, it's it's good to talk to you, man. But I didn't even introduce myself. I'm Clint Davis. I talk movies and I talk television here on the show. And Andy uh, always talks about music here every month. But we've been doing this show now for like. I think we're going on like six years now. I mean, we've been doing it for a while. Which, yeah, which is outrageous. You know, I mean, we, we, we've certainly, you know, partnered up on, on things uh, in the past, whether they be uh, radio shows or a uh, blog, you know, uh, yeah. blog critique or whatever, you know, and uh, for a brief spell, uh, local TV news. <laughs> yeah, we go back <laughs> and, a long way together. If uh, you didn't know that, we we worked together yeah. uh, in college. We hosted radio shows right after each other. It was kind of how we met. And then we worked at various jobs together in, uh, in news and even in TV news, like you said, in a newspaper. And, uh, you know, we've just yeah. kind of worked this is, together but this, on this is This is the, the longest endeavor it is, uh, yeah. That that we, you know, that we have, uh, that we've taken on. Yeah, and imagine that. I mean, it's the, it's the only time where we didn't have like a boss over us, so no one's there to like tell us to stop <laughs> or to shut us down after <laughs> like we get going for a little bit. So and no one, no wonder it's lasted so long. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's nobody to tell us to shut the hell up. So I think that's <laughs> that's why. But 
anyway, if you're if it's your first time joining us, thank you for uh, for checking us out. Um, and usually we do this show separately, so I'll talk about my stuff, and then I'll pass it over to Andy. He'll talk about his stuff, um, and then we come back and kind of wrap everything up. But uh, it's it's fun to be able to chat again. I think the last time we did one of these together was like t- two years ago, something like that. Maybe it was more. A while ago, two or three it, years it ago. Was a, it was a, it was a while ago. It was a long time. I remember we did the one at the Scripps building in Cincinnati. Yes. And I think we did one after we did one after that, didn't we? We did the one at the, where we recorded it at the library in Cincinnati. I couldn't remember That's which right. one was first or which one was second. Um, but that one was funny because we like recorded it once and then we had messed something up with the recording, like it got deleted. So we had to do the entire show again. So we had to, like, do, <laughs> we had to do the whole hour again and like try to recreate what we had done the first time. <laughs> So if you listen to that one where we're recording at the library, what you're hearing is actually the second take of this one hour long conversation. It's actually like an hour and a half conversation. Oh man. It was a long time. It was, yeah, it was a real long time. And I remember we were going to grab some, we were going to grab some food afterwards and because we screwed up the first one, we had to do it all over again. That added another hour and a half and we were both starving by the time we got out of the library. The poor library guys like standing outside the studio, like ready to go home. (laughs) Like I was supposed to be out of here an hour ago. But anyway, hopefully we'll get this one done on the first. Hopefully what you're hearing now will be the first take of this conversation. Um, I want to tell you, if you're uh, just joining us, to uh, go over to YouTube, check out Overdue Review there. I do movie reviews every now and again on there. And you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis. Uh, I'll post there kind of what I'm watching when I'm watching it. Um, and Andy is there on Instagram as well, at Andy Sedlak. And he's kind of always posting uh, what he's listening to. I always like when you do that on there. That yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. No, there's that vinyl collection is getting unwieldy. I think at this point, it, it, there, there's there's always music in the house. Always, um, you know, with if I'm working, if I'm working out, if I'm you know whatever, you know, uh, quickly throwing something in the microwave for dinner. There's always always music playing. The music. I think I, I I will say that the the turntable is used more than the TV. Really? Oh, by far. <laughs> Yeah, by I, far. I, I wouldn't go that far on my end, but I do. I do the same thing when I'm working. I always like to listen to, to music. I always just like to have something on. Even I'll turn the TV on sometimes just to have it like as background noise. Um, I always work really well when there's games on and stuff like that. So usually I'll just turn something on. I don't even care what the game is, just as long as there's something, you know, to be on in the background. So let, let me thing. go ahead and let me go ahead and pose the first question when you are working because this is kind of an interesting contrast and maybe this is sort of in line with with 2020 and kind of what we're going through when you're working do you listen to different types of things when you're working versus otherwise you know what i mean like is it a little more like are you picking out stuff that's a little more casual yeah is it a little more kind of like background music-y like that's the intent or do you just kind of still listen to whatever you listen to whatever you feel like hearing even though you might be working? Typically, if it's like when I'm, when I'm working and I'm writing, it'll be mostly instrumentals only. Like I'll have, like I have a Spotify playlist that has all these jazz songs that I like and just different stuff that's easy to listen to that I've heard a million times and it's in the background. I usually don't listen to anything that's going to get me too like focused on the music. Uh, if, if I'm really trying to do work, but, um, other times, like if I'm doing work where I'm not writing, then, I'll play, usually I'll listen to like Sirius XM um, and I'll just turn something on there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key is, is listening to stuff that you 
you've just heard it a thousand times, you know it by heart. And so you're not tempted to like to give the music your focus. You know, you can still focus on work because if it's something that I'm still trying to get used to, or I'm trying to kind of sink my teeth into, then it's, it's, I mean, it's inevitable that that's going to take my attention and that's going to take my focus. Yeah. And there's only so much focus to go around. So yeah, it's always stuff. It's like, they're like old favorites. When I'm working, exactly. it's like, it's, it's like the old favorites list. You yeah. Know? I try not to listen to anything I haven't heard before that I want to hear, you know, because it's just, I'm not going to get anything done. Right. I'm doing that. I, I know you're right. the same way. It's just, that's yeah. going to take all your focus away. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that'd be my answer to you there. Um, I have to get, before we really get rolling, I have to give a shout out also once again to our, uh, loyal friends in Mongolia and in uh, Pakistan for putting us up there at the top of the, uh, the TV and film subgenre categories. <laughs> I didn't know if you caught that last uh, month in the episode, but uh, I've got a big <laughs> fan base out there. Way out there, man. No, That's who a knew? Who, I know. Who knew? I, no, I, I, That's a 20 I, hour flight. W- w- <laughs> when I heard that, Man, I, I mean, it was like, I, you know, it's cliche or whatever, but I literally was laughing out loud because <laughs> it, it was, hey, man, it's so unexpected. Who would have known? Who I know. Known? Well, that you email know? I got was so funny because the subject line's like, big news on the stream police or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, that is cool. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle them. You know, it's just funny because here we are. I mean, we're just these two like Midwestern yokels basically talking about. Right you know, movies and music, uh, in our, like our closet and I'm not sure, you know, I'm right. I mean, I guess I wouldn't, I don't, I mean, the show's a lot of things. I don't don't know if I would call it worldly. I don't know if I would either. So that's funny, but the people in Mongolia, something about it, man, it just, it hits them the right way. They're working class (laughs) folks over there. I don't know. Good blue collar types. We, we, Hey, look, if you, yeah, if you are listening out there, you know, we hear you, we see you and we appreciate, we, you know, we appreciate the support. We really do. There's no, no kidding about that. Oh man. So I wanted to, uh, before I get into my greatest TV show theme song, I wanted to follow up on something you talked about in the last episode, which I loved was the, you know, really shitty lyrics that just stop you dead in your tracks when you're listening to great songs. Right. Um, yeah. And you were, I mean, I was dying when you were talking about, I mean, the John Mellencamp song is just, we've, we've had a dozen conversations probably about that one lyric, sucking on chili dogs lyric. Sucking on them. Of all the things that you could have said, I mean, it's just so, the image is so vivid and just in a bad way. I mean, there's nothing good about that at all. It doesn't even make sense. It makes them sound stupid. Like, why are they (laughs) sucking on, like, there's nothing cool about it at all. It's just bad in every way. And I, and I was, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's, it's, so, it's so unnecessary because, you know, there were so many other, and I touched on this, there were so many other words yeah. that could have worked, you know, like words with, you know, same syllable count yeah. and, you know, would have been just as easy to sing. So it's not like, it's not like it's one of those that, all right, it sounds kind of weird, but it just, it rolls off the tongue and it's all good no not no no, not really it's just it's just strange he could have said snacking on chili dogs munching on chili dogs i mean anything works really sucking on it he chose he chose (laughs) to suck on them though 
And I was dying too when you were talking about Springsteen with the uh, the infamous uh, speedball lyric from Glory Days because you you nailed you nailed it when you said that he is the ultimate like he's so meticulous with his lyrics he goes over them a million times before he's satisfied with something. I mean the guy's got a a, a whole bank vault full of unreleased songs that he wasn't happy with. But on this, which ends up being one of the biggest songs of his career, he says <laughs> one of the like stupidest, like no one has ever called a speedball a fastball. Even if you're the biggest sports rookie, like you've never watched sports in your life, you know what a fastball is. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's part of the American lexicon. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not even a, it's not even a sports term. No. You know, I mean, fastball, curveball, these are things that you hear just in life. Yeah. You know, like you hear them in, in a variety of ways. I mean, it's just so, unbelievably common just, it's it, it is like he went out of his way to to call a fastball a speedball which yeah. which does not roll off the tongue i mean you know i've i've sung along with glory days a million times yeah and that it it, it almost trips you up a little bit it doesn't it's not an easy thing to sing because it's so odd it is. Yeah, it doesn't. I've never understood why he chose that. But I have to give him credit when he did the Super Bowl. And didn't he change it to like, he changed it to like a football term, didn't he? Because he was obviously they were doing I, I, yeah. football. I can't yeah, remember I what he, he said. He changed it to Hail Mary. It, throw that Hail Mary by you. That's what I was yeah. thinking it was too. Yeah. So I give him credit for that. That was cute. Um, that was funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, speedball. I just, I don't know. But I, anyway, I came up with a few of my own that have always bugged me, like in songs that I really like. And I've actually, I've got quite a few of them uh, from uh, hip hop that just kill me in songs that I really, really like otherwise. So let me, let me start <laughs> off. Here, here's one for you. Dr. Dre, The Chronic, the, the classic track, Fuck With Dre Day and Everybody Celebrating. I think it opens the album. Great song all the way yeah. through. One of those I always crank up. Yeah. But in the Absolutely, end of the yeah. song, when the song's like winding down and you're really feeling good and you've got, the, <laughs> you've got it turned all the way up and, that's when Snoop Dogg just decides to over and over again say, And it's like he's, he's like singing it, easy, he can eat a big fat dick. And, and you're just, you're trying to like listen to this song and feel cool. And you're trying to like rap along with him. And then he's and like, how am I going to? You're sitting at a red light and it's like easy e can eat a big fat dick and it even plays worse now because of easy e being dead for so long and such a like revered <laughs> i mean it just sounds so bad i mean i get it was like there was a beef at the time but good god man he could have said anything else yeah easy e easy e easy e can eat a big fat dick that, that, that that's yeah you know i was i was listening to the new eminem uh album and it, there were a bunch of lines where I just said to myself, these are not, that's not going to age well. And he's got a bunch of lines that, that no. just haven't aged well. Oh man. And he's like, yeah, I mean, okay. Of, oh, yeah, groaners. I mean, just, he, yeah. Right. But when, yeah, I mean, when in, in, in WA split up and yeah, I mean, they all hated each other and they really didn't even, like that didn't even last that long. No, it know? really didn't. It, it really was kind of a, a brief thing. But to go all in like that, man, <laughs> it's like once you record it, dick. <laughs> once you record it, that's it. It's it's that's it forever. It's you really know? And bad. I know that's what gives it its power. Yeah. But, you know, you got to, I don't know, a little bit of foresight wouldn't 
wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Easy E can get a, eat a big fat dick. <laughs> it's just a just a bad lyric all the way through. Stupid. It, I mean, it doesn't rhyme with anything either. It's just like an ad lib. It's just thrown in there. It's not like actually part of the song. It's just like kind of as the music's going down at the end. So they could have just left it out. Not clever at all. <laughs> oh no, not not a not a great uh, not Snoop's best writing that he ever did. Yeah, easy E, easy E, easy E can eat a big fat dick. Tim Dawn can eat a big fat dick. Luke can eat a fat dick. Yeah. All right. Speaking of guys who uh, are great writers but didn't show it off all the time, how about Jay Z? Jay Z's had some really oh. bad ones over the yeah. years, especially in the last like decade or so. So. Uh, Drake did a song called Light Up, which I actually really like. And I actually, I like everything Drake does in the song. But then Jay-Z comes in and does a, his own verse. And he drops this line that every time I hear it, I always have to stop. And I'm just like, dude, I mean, I, it just makes me want to turn the song off. I once was cool as the funds was, but these bright lights turned into a monster. I once was cool as the Fonz was, but these bright lights turned me into a monster. I once was cool as the Fonz was. But these bright lights turn into a monster. <laughs> the rhyme itself is as bad as anything, but uh, I mean, his reference that he drops is to the Fonz. I mean, a Happy Days reference. <laughs> That's as current as a guy could get. I mean, Jay-Z's like the coolest guy in history. I mean, he's like friends with Barack Obama. And the Fonz is the best that he can do for a... It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think Jay-Z is one of those, I mean, obviously that's a phoned in lyric. When Jay-Z phones in, it is so, so obvious when he cares and when he doesn't. Yes, true. Because, I mean, he's like, he's like the king of like one take. Yeah. Like, yep. just, I'm just going to spit, whatever comes out, comes out. And if he's not going to go over it again. <laughs> yeah. Some, and this one, obviously, some... he's a guest, you know, on Drake's song. So it's not right. exactly, he's probably not, he doesn't care that much, but. I mean, he's done you, some you talk, great featured, you know, feature verses, but this was not one of them. I once was cool as the funds was, but these bright lights turned into a monster. You talk about Jay-Z. <laughs> isn't, isn't the entire Empire State of Mind song kind of a groaner? Oh, definitely. That's one of those songs that I think we just heard it so much. And the first time I heard it even, I was just like, here we go, another New York, like, no no one's done this before i mean shit jay-z's done it a million times but i know another, I know. Ra another it, rapper telling us how great new york is i mean it's exactly what i <laughs> what i listen to this music for i mean it's just so and all the i mean just all the growing i mean he hit there was no cliche left no unturned in that uh, you know I do kind of like the line about the I made the Yankee hat more famous than a Yankee can. Like that, that was that probably was the of, best. That was probably the that, highlight of the track. Yeah, that was an okay line. But even just basically, I mean, you're still just Yankees, Tribeca. I mean, it's just it's all cliches. It's all, and the the slip you an Ambien line going into the chorus. I always thought that was cheesy. Also, <laughs> at the end of the song, Alicia Keys was the best part of that song she she pretty much stole the whole thing i think no she yeah she was great she was she was great but man just just the lamest just the lamest rhyme yeah from jay-z I, I always get tired of the we've talked a lot about um kanye west and his uh you know kind of self-referential songs and he's done a lot of songs talking about chicago i, I always get tired of the 
song where the rapper talks about where they're from that that almost never plays well with me it just it's almost always like i really don't give a shit like that's great you know maybe it's cool if you're from there but i'd like to think if there was a rapper from cincinnati i wouldn't think it was that cool that he's like referencing skyline chili and all this stuff which it probably feels <laughs> like if you're, <laughs> if you're from new york you're like yeah i know it's it's cool i, I live here or maybe if you're from someplace if you're from someplace that's underrepresented I yeah. think that could be that could be kind of cool, but fucking New York City, <laughs> New York. Hey, New York. We're gonna do something nobody's ever or done. Or Houston. We're, we're gonna rep New York in a song. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Houston. Right. Nobody's ever talked about these places, man. Miami, right, Florida. Right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nobody's ever rep these places. All right. But, uh, uh, what else you got? I've got I got a few more of them. If you want to bear with me here, I've got. Yeah, uh, no, I want to hear them. I was just jotting these down after you asked me about it. Uh, let me go to uh, Biggie Smalls here for one. Obviously, one Ooh. of the great, one of the yeah. great songwriters ever. Maybe yep. maybe the best you know like storytelling rapper of all time. Uh, and he does this track that I absolutely love called "Me and My Bitch." One of my favorite songs of his. One probably one of my favorite rap songs ever done. But there's a lyric in there that every time it's like it's so embarrassing to listen to that I, I want to like turn it down or like cough over it if, if ever I'm listening to the song with somebody and just like pretend it doesn't happen. And I don't even want to say the lyric. I'm just going to let him say it. So here's here's Biggie Small saying this lyric that I hate so much. You look so good. Huh? I suck on your daddy's dick. Yeah. So, so there's the line. I, that is just so <laughs> vile, and it's so, there's nothing good about that. Like, I don't know who heard that lyric and said, yeah, that sounds like a winner to me, Chris. I mean, I just don't – I don't know what he was thinking. Shouldn't, shouldn't, Sean, shouldn't Sean Combs have stepped in? I think so. I mean, come on. Didn't he have any power in the booth? <laughs> I mean, it's just Puff Daddy we're talking about. He could have told him, hey, that's not – like, no one wants to hear that, man. You can do better. You can do better, Big. You look so good, huh? I suck on your daddy's dick. Yeah. Absolutely no one wants to hear that. <laughs> oh, but speaking of Puffy, I actually, I have another one here on a Puff Daddy song. Great song. Can't Nobody Hold Me Down. I don't know if you know oh, that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a classic from Puff Daddy and the Family. In one part of the song, he says, he's describing himself, but he says, Young, black, and famous with money hanging out the anus. Young, black, and famous with money hanging out the anus. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so bad. Like, the word anus. Who wants to hear that when they're, like, at the club? And, like, you're trying to, like, you're trying to bring somebody home. You're trying to close the deal or something. And you're out on the floor. And it's money hanging out your anus. I mean, it's just such a terrible word. I mean, I, I get, I mean, he's trying to rhyme with famous. And what else should he have done? But I'm. I'm sure he could have come up with something. There's got to be something. There's got to be something better than that. That's you know that's the thing. That's the thing with all with all of these is that they didn't. And I touched on this a little bit in the last in the last uh, show. It, they're so unnecessary. Yeah, they're so unnecessary. I mean, you could have just easily said so many other things. Yeah. You didn't have to say, you didn't have to say this, you know, like you weren't like locked in. You didn't paint yourself into a corner to where like, well, I guess, I guess this is where I am. I guess that's, uh, that's going to be the song. That's it. It's like, bro, you, you could have said anything else. It sounds, will you tell me when you're on the mic, it doesn't sound weird to you? Oh my God. Like when that... you're doing the vocal, when you're in the booth, you're doing the vocal and you, you literally speak it, you yeah. say it. 
Yeah. Do you not say, man, I sound like a fucking idiot when I said that. Young black and famous with money hanging out the anus. And everybody's, you know how it works like in a recording studio. You're, you're not like by yourself. I mean, you're, you're doing these lines and you've got a producer and you've probably got four or five other, you got an engineer, you've got four or five other people in there. Because when you're talking about a rap record, there's probably, you know, three or four producers on the song anyway. Like, isn't it just kind of embarrassing to say something like that with everybody in the room? Perhaps, perhaps this is where we, we speculate uh, about the influence, the famous influence that substances play in the studio <laughs> and during the creative process. Because maybe, if that, maybe they were too if, loose. <laughs> if you were too, you know, where, where if you're in a state of mind where anything works. <laughs> then money hanging out the anus sounds like a good lyric to you. Maybe that's at the time. Maybe it cracked you up. Young black and famous with money hanging out the anus. <laughs> Over its course of his career, every time he does a, a show, he's got to do "Can't Nobody Hold Me Down," and he's got to say that line, and it's like, oh Jesus, <laughs> so it's so bad. You make one mistake, and you got to say it every night for the rest of your life. Now that you're now that you're uh, you're a little seasoned, you know, once you get on a little further in your career, yep. you know, you, your taste may shift a little bit you would like to think that all right well you know i've heard more music i okay now i i'm able to kind of decipher what works what doesn't maybe you're you know you have a little that critical eye on your own type of thing right because just over the years i don't know it's, it's easier to look back and to kind of critique a little bit You'd like man i so. tell you what when you when you drop that line you're not thinking about yourself as uh as a seasoned uh <laughs> uh performer you're just you're just trying to you're trying, to, you're trying to get through the session, man. You're trying to come up with a rhyme. That's exactly what you're doing. You're trying to get through the session, and now, now you're you're stuck with it. That I always thought that'd me. be the worst. You know, having a having a song that you were stuck with, that you yeah. hated, or oh, or having a um, you know, a song that you felt like just didn't represent you, or a stupid. I mean, for I mean, rap, there are so many lines in these songs. If there was just one line that stuck out like a sore thumb that you just had to grit your teeth, clench your teeth, and and to just say it every time you were you were on stage, yeah. that's got to be the worst feeling. It's got to be. It has to suck. I mean, there are certainly worse problems, but yeah, it's got to be just like I don't want to say this and do this, but people are going to get mad if I like change it, and so you're stuck, <laughs> man. So I have one more from rap, and this is one that you'll like because I know you're a big fan of the game and yeah. uh, the oh, documentary yeah so his his song the um dreams from that album which is uh, a great yeah. song yeah. love the track love the sample love everything about this song yeah. except for one lyric that's just completely stupid this one's not nearly as embarrassing as the other ones but it just makes the game sound stupid when he says it <laughs> so anyway he's like a heartfelt lyric he, he he says in the song i woke up about that coma 2001 about the same time dre dropped 2001 and the only this line sounds fine but the problem is that 2001 the album came out in 1999 so he's two years <laughs> like he thought that 2001 came out in 2001 but it was way before that so <laughs> he's like two years off like if you woke up in 2001 then i hate to tell you game but 2001 was an old album by that point so it was over <laughs> and, and dre's supposed to be like his mentor so he I was gonna didn't say, know his like, music that well <laughs> Yeah, they're like they're like Compton guys. They're they're uh, West Coast LA Compton guys. He produced the documentary, so he's probably in the room when he says that. 
he's, he's like, hey man, that record came out in 99. He's like, ah, fuck it, it sounds good. I woke up about that coma 2001, about the same time Dre dropped 2001. So I don't know, that line just always I thought was funny because it's, it's not even correct. <laughs> I never liked it. I never liked it when they used, when they tried to rhyme the, the, the same word twice like that's oh, that's so lazy it's it's so lazy and when you're if you're factually inaccurate on top of it <laughs> that yeah man you're right that's a shitty line it's bad it's just bad it's a real bad line it's funny the, though the, at least it's funny but you know the thing that again <laughs> the problem with this funny. no the, the problem is it just it pulls you out of it just kind of just for even for a second it pulls you out of the song and otherwise the thing that makes these songs such a, a freaking shame is that if not for that there would be nothing to pull you out of the entire song exactly and you would have just been plugged in and engaged through the duration because that is that a one great, little thing that's a great song like that's one of those songs i would say yes, is it, one of the best the whole like, documentary is a fucking great album it, it is but this song might be i mean it might be the best song on the album and it's like he posts this really stupid lyric in it and i mean it's just bad it's just funny bad but hopefully a lot of people don't even realize that it's wrong because they'll just be like yeah it came out in 2001 but it was two years the, the longer the longer it goes the, the 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 less embarrassing that line is because people are gonna they're just not gonna remember true that's that's true all right, let me let me uh, go over to uh, country for a minute. I only I only have one from country music for you, if you can believe it, because there's a lot of bad. I there find that with country ones. music that there's a lot of bad songs, and not necessarily yep. a lot of examples where you've got this great song and you've got the terrible lyric right. uh, thrown in. Usually, the song is just bad from the start, and right. so you just stay away from it. <laughs> Uniformly bad. <laughs> yes. But there's a there's a line that I have always hated, and some people might like this line. Um, by Merle Haggard in the song Working Man Blues. Oh, and man, this is a classic track. Everybody yeah. loves this song. It's one of his, his best, you know, his greatest hits. But there's a lyric in there that really bugs me. And it's, it's a whole problem with country music, I think, and kind of their fan base. But anyway, here's the lyric. Merle says, Well, hey, hey, the working man, working man like me. I ain't never been on welfare. And that's one place I won't be. I'll be working and the line you know it's like the kind of thing that you would maybe hear your uncle say like thanksgiving or something like that and it, the whole thing is just so condescending and it, and it's like i mean what are you gonna do when your two hands don't work anymore merle i mean you're gonna have to have some kind of help from somebody like what do you what do you think social security is man <laughs> i ain't never been on welfare and that's one place i won't be Merle Merle went down that road fairly often. He really did. I mean, Okie from uh, uh, Muskogee, oh, yeah, but Muskogee. I mean, you know, that's just terrible. That that is that's a painfully bad song. It is, you know, and that one it it, it wasn't exactly uh, uh, um, rooted at the time that it came out, and it is aged even more terribly you know well, he was i think with that song he was supposedly like making fun of people that were like that like the narrator in the song he he's supposed to be because i i guess he was like they were smoking weed on the tour bus or something and they rolled through muskogee and he was like i bet nobody smokes marijuana in muskogee and so he wrote the song 
from the point is of that view. true so, yeah so it was supposed to be like poking fun at him but then that song ended up like defining him and he ended up oh. kind of embracing it as a serious song so it, it became serious but i think when oh he wrote i didn't it, okay i want to wear the story when he wrote it it was like a jerk off he was like making fun of those kind of people but but then like you're right he went back to that kind of thing over and over again because i think it worked for him and he had a fan base of you know these kind of people that would sing that kind of song seriously even though right merle haggard i, I think he was like I can't remember if he was from California. I mean, he, he's a guy who was hanging out with Willie Nelson all the time. I mean, this guy wasn't, he wasn't like the most straight laced, clean cut, you know, guy of all time or anything. No, no, that's, that's, that's another classic example of image contrasting with, with reality, which is what, I mean, to a degree, Johnny Cash was famous for that as well. To be honest with you, I mean, country music in general, right? I mean, there's, that's a very uh, conservative, traditionally conservative, uh, medium and these are artists they're not always that conservative you know I mean yeah, they're exactly. they're eccentric people working within a traditionally conservative medium in country music and so you see that you do see that a lot of times particularly in country is that their personal lives don't exactly match up with the way that their music is presented or marketed yep because the marketing in nashville i mean it's just so extreme i mean they have to sell an image yeah. you know you know how it is yep it's yep. Uh, it's very phony but uh it, that line just always bothered me because I, I like that song but it you know and i, I guess it, you know yeah. in the in the context i think of the guy who's sitting here at this bar saying this it it plays and it works but it just bugs me because it sounds like something that i would hear some racist idiot say and really believe it I just think that one is so condescending and insulting, kind of. So oh, totally, what, that's totally. What, uh, that's what I that's like. That's the old. That, that that's the old bootstrap. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm gonna you know like that's exactly. that's the whole thing. I'll never need any help, and I'll never take any, even if I do need it. You know, and it's right. like I'm supposed to admire you for the this. I mean, this is a good thing. Right. So, that one bugs me. All right. Finally, I got two two from Dylan for you because you know Bob oh, strong. Bob yeah. was cranking out the lyrics over the years. Nobody really wrote more songs than him, and they can't all be, you know, winners. But I've got uh, two lines from songs that I actually like because I know this was your premise. So let's go to uh, Clean Cut Kid because this is a song that mm. I actually really do like a lot. And I think, uh, you know, it's not one of his greatest songs, but it, it, it works for me. Just it to, works, yeah. It, it's a little obvious. There's a lot of obvious lyrics in this one when he's trying to get his point across about, you know, just what the kind of the military and what you know the united states and what um service can do to someone um when they turn violent and things like that even though they come up as a, a nice person and then they go into this machine and get spit out i get what he's going for I me mean, it's really obvious but there's one lyric that i always think is just like unintentionally <laughs> funny in here and uh it's when dylan says uh, he's, he's describing the clean cut kid and he says He ate Burger Kings. He was well fed. Burger Kings, plural. Like what? He ate the entire restaurant of Burger King multiple times. <laughs> he ate Burger. I don't know if did people call Burger King like Whoppers Burger Kings back in the day. I don't. I, I don't maybe is this is an old thing that I'm not getting because it's like back in the day they called them Burger Kings. But every time I hear that, it just sounds so. He just sounds so out of touch there. <laughs> 
in that i mean that came out what in the mid 80s i think they yeah the, the the whopper the whopper was around in the mid 80s wasn't it oh yeah i think it had been around for like since the 60s i want to say it's a pretty <laughs> old sandwich but can you imagine Dylan sitting around eating Burger King? I mean, he probably had never had it in his life and didn't know what the hell it was. He just thought the sandwich was called a Burger King. So, you see him, you see him in his, his mansion, his compound in Malibu, which I think is where he actually lives. I think so too. Trying to write about, trying to write about King. The, the commoner. <laughs> hey, give me some Burger Kings. Yeah, get the Burger Kings. <laughs> So that one, that one's like one of those unintentionally funny lyrics in a, a song that's really pretty serious. There's a lot of serious stuff going on in yeah. that song. Right. Um, okay, one last one here from Dylan. This is uh, a line from Sweetheart Like You, which I think you'll agree oh. with me. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Man, I'll tell you, it, there are a few, there, there are bumpy lines in that song. I, I love it. I truly I love too. it. There, there are bumpy lines, though. You're right. It's, it's an incredible song, though. It's just, there. there's so many good lines kind of about life so much subtlety in it the image and, and I, I think i if i if i had to get i think i know where you're going you think so so i think <laughs> so yeah yeah it's just one really yep. bad line that falls yep. kind of right at the end i think it's at the end of the first verse and this really is a tremendous song if you've never heard sweetheart like you listen to it because it is it's just outstanding it's one of the ultimate nighttime kind of uh tracks that you could ever hear yeah but uh in the song, Dylan throws this line out. He's talking to this woman, the whole point of the song, and he says, he says to her really tenderly, You know a woman like you should be at home. That's where you belong. Taking care of somebody nice who don't know how to do you wrong. Every time that line comes up, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like looking down and... I think even Dylan himself has said that it, like it came out the wrong way, like he meant something else by it, but it just came out like he was telling her, like he was saying like women shouldn't do anything but be <laughs> at home taking care of men. But that's exactly what it sounds like. Like it, it's, it's a, so, it just lands with such a thud. It's like, oh God, this song is great. And then he's got that line and. Ugh. You know, I, I knew that's, I knew that's the, the line that you were going to pick out. And the problem, the problem with it is that there's, a pause in between should be at home and or no, that's sorry, right. should uh that's where you belong pause taking care of somebody nice somebody's nice don't know how to do you wrong there there's that pause there and so it sounds like it just you're right it hits weird because he says a woman like you should be at home that's where you belong and it's just like it's in and, and it just, just like what? Yeah, it hangs there. <laughs> yeah, it just hangs there. You know a woman like you should be at home. That's where you belong. I think I think he's saying, look, you shouldn't be in the shithole bar. You should be living a life that is is full and loving, and you should be in a caring relationship. That's what you deserve. Yeah. But but the delivery is so <laughs> shitty. It is. He says, a woman like, it's almost like he's like pointing the finger, like a yeah. woman like you should be at home. And it feels like period, end of statement. That's yeah. the problem with that. That's where you belong. And it, it just takes me out of it every time. I'm just like, man, I love, there's yeah. so many great things about this song. Um, 
the line about, you know, walking across cut glass to make a deal. That's one of my favorite lines oh, I, that he's yeah. ever written. Um, yep. And there's so many good ones, but, and really this lyric probably works in the context of this, like kind of, cause anyone who would be hanging out at this bar is probably, probably a piece of shit kind of person anyway. Right. So the guy right. saying the line, the character in the song is probably this kind of guy who would say something like this, but I think it comes off just as condescending. And, and the song is kind of romantic really it's kind of a romantic song but then that line comes in and it just ruins it right it, it, yeah it, it i don't know it just it feels so out of place to your to your point because even the production and the feel of the music it's very you know kind of kind of dreamy and it, you know you feel like it's tender. it's reaching it's like a tender song absolutely yeah i mean you, you feel like even though you're the setting is so wretched you know, they are reaching for something more noble. Like they would like to be part of something more noble. That's the feel of the whole song. Yeah. But that, that line in particular, it just, it breaks that theme. You know what I mean? It breaks up that feeling and that's, that's, that's a bad line. That's what a bad line does. Yeah. It just takes me out of the song every time. So, so you'll, you'll like this one of my favorite, you know, I've got all these bootleg albums. It, one of my, favorite bootleg records that I have it's of and when you come up what we'll pour a couple drinks and we'll listen to it because it's fascinating the whole first side is Dylan in the studio cutting that song that song really only that song exactly (laughs) so you hear him he'll do a verse and and the cool thing is man they let the they let the tape roll so you hear some of the chatter back and forth that's cool and you hear it, that nah, stop, let's do it again. Hear it, stop, okay, let's do it, let's do the second verse. Okay, hear it, now nah, I don't like the way you phrased it. it. And the, the side ends with a complete take of the song. And it's an alternative take, it's not the one that ended up on the album, it's a full take of a, you know, an alternate version of that song. That's and fantastic. for my money, I mean, it, it's just as good as the version that was put out officially. It's really? a really interesting, it's a really compelling listen just to kind of hear them try to build it. And then you've got, you know, like I say, that alternative take at the end. I bet there are so many people listening to this that hear you talk about, say that, like there's a whole side of an album that's just him doing this song. They probably think that sounds like the worst thing that you could possibly listen to, but I'm just like, <laughs> well, I, I want to hear it immediately, right? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds incredible. He didn't put it out. Some. <laughs> Some gopher smuggled those tapes out of the studio and sold them uh, to bootleggers for I don't know who knows what, but um, but yeah, no, he didn't he didn't put that out himself. Um, it, it, but it's interesting just to could, it gives you that fly on the wall feeling. It wasn't in the official bootleg series. No, all Dylan recording seventy two uh, like you for yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, those things are going to be going on long after I think we're dead. I think so. Forget when Dylan's dead. All right, right let's. So that we talked about bad lyrics for so long, but uh, let, let me let me get into uh, the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week, our 59th entry into the canon. And uh, I don't know how you feel about this one, Andy, but I, I have a feeling it's it's going to be one that you like. So for this week's entry, we're going to go all the way back to the early 1960s, and this was a time when like crazy science fiction shows were all over TV, even though there were only three networks on at the time, like everyone's got sci-fi shows on. And I think in the early part of that decade, you know, before all these assassinations happened, people just had like such optimism about the future and about American ingenuity. And 
you know, we were going to go to space and do all these crazy things. And they thought that, you know, we'd have flying cars and we'd live in cities that were in the sky like 30 years from then. Uh, and they really believed it, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, just it was something in the air then. But uh, it was that the, 50s optimism that bleeded it, yeah, into the early 60s. It was. And it, and it ended pretty quickly uh, after yeah. that. But uh, anyway, this week's pick debuted on ABC on September 23rd, 1962, when the Jetsons made its debut on television. So two years after the Flintstones debuts on ABC and it becomes a big hit with people of all ages. I mean, the Flintstones was a massive, like legitimate primetime, you know, like network sitcom hit with everyone. Um, ABC decided to capitalize on it and they came up with a counterpart show that moved from the Stone Age to the Space Age. And the shows are really pretty similar in setup, aside from the settings, obviously. I mean, you've got the dad who's like a working stiff, blue collar job, got a hard ass boss. Um, you got the mom who's a homemaker. Uh, you've got the family pet. Uh, you, you know, in the Flintstones, it was a dinosaur. In the Jetsons, it was a dog. Um, you had a couple differences. The Jetsons had older kids. They had two kids who were older. They had uh, the robot maid. Uh, who kind of stole the show most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but the shows were pretty similar, and, and and the whole family of the Jetsons was laid out for you in the theme song, all revolving around their relationship to, uh, relationship to George, who was obviously the clear star of the show. Meet George Jetson. And I just think this theme song is so perfect. It, it just nails the whole sound of the 1960s. Yeah. But it but it sounds nothing like the Flintstones theme, which is also another really good theme song. Um, but it's, it doesn't sound like the Flintstones theme. It sounds completely different. It, it goes for something kind of more like driving up tempo. You got those in-your-face horns. You got those jazzy yep. vocals. Um, and it just sounds so 60s to me, but it also sounds kind of like 60s retro-futuristic kind of thing. So I just think they nailed it. I, I, I can't think of another theme song that sounds quite like this one really all the way through. So that's one of the reasons why I've picked it here. It, it was that I was looking into it and the track was actually written by this guy named Hoyt Curtin. There's a name for you, Hoyt Curtin, who yeah, was good. basically, <laughs> he was like a legend in the early days of animated TV. He was uh, the musical director at Hanna-Barbera. So he wrote the theme songs for the Flintstones, for the Jetsons, Top Cat, Johnny Quest, Josie oh and the God. Pussycats, the he did Smurfs. He did, he did the theme songs for all these shows. Wow. Guy was a legend. I, I was looking into him and the LA Times actually called him the John Williams of the Smurf set. So that's a pretty, pretty nice title. And uh, I think this song actually might have been the best work of his career. And I think of the Jetsons when I think about this show as like an iconic TV cartoon series, but I didn't realize that it actually only ran for one season and 24 episodes in primetime before it got the yank by ABC. So 24 half hour episodes, that's all that existed uh, 
in the 1960s of the Jetsons. Oh my God. I mean, I never knew that. So yeah. what, it had to have, it had to have come back it relatively was, quickly in another. So, so how did that work? It came back about 20 years later as a Saturday morning cartoon. So in syndication oh. in the mid eighties, this is where you probably saw it and where I yeah. saw it when we were kids. Um, and it actually ran for another 50 episodes which is, you know, decent, but still not that long of a run. So there are only actually 75 episodes in total of the Jetsons that, that have ever existed, which is pretty really? crazy. Yeah, less than 100 episodes of the show, which is, I mean, that's like a fraction of what exists for the Flintstones. Um, so it's just- Right, that was on for a long time. I mean, I think the Flintstones, didn't they? The, the Flintstones series started in black and white. It did, yeah. It started black and white and then went to color. And it, it was, I mean, that was a huge hit, but the Jetsons right. just never- took off like the Flintstones did, I guess. So it's, it's amazing how many of these classic series that we think about really didn't have that long of a run. I mean, you know, you just talked about the monsters and that was exactly what was that two seasons, three seasons? It, no, I think it was, uh, I think it was two. And it was like the second season, they canceled it like in the middle of the season or something like that. Like it didn't have any good run at all. That's amazing. Even though everyone is... remembers the monsters, and there were shows that, that were on back then that were on for a long time, and nobody talks about them. Right. Yeah, you're right. So, you're, that's absolutely right. But the Jetsons is one that we still remember, and uh, I mean, it, but it really wasn't off for that long. I, I found something else funny, too, when I was looking into this, and when the show came back, and it was in 1986, actually, that it came back. The theme song actually became a hit single for a minute. It cracked the <laughs> Billboard Hot 100 because they re-recorded it like in, you know, better audio quality but it was the same song they didn't do anything new to it um and it was actually being played on the radio so if you can imagine in 1986 like this song oh. popping up between like a madonna and a duran duran track <laughs> <laughs> jetson's theme song it had to sound so stupid on the radio that, but it was a top 10 hit <laughs> it's one of the things that never happens anymore because you do hear like you used to hear like movie themes on the yeah. radio you know i mean uh tv themes on the radio they used to be you know that was fairly common uh yeah. one one you never hear anymore is an instrumental instrumentals used to do great business on the charts and i couldn't tell you the last instrumental that that was a top 40 hit i can't either the I would probably say it was probably in the 70s, I'm thinking, but... I mean, that would make sense, but I, I even, don't know. Even then, like the horse, the song The Horse is, is popping in my head uh, for some reason, the Cliff Noble song. That's the, <laughs> that's probably the last hit instrumental. But yeah, in the 60s, it was like all... In, or in the 50s and 60s, it was like instrumentals dominated the radio, basically. Yeah, I mean, the, the Ventures got in the Hall of Fame by doing instrumentals. So the Jetsons theme song by Hoyt Curtin from 1962, that's our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Help! Help! Jane, stop this crazy thing! Right, so how do you top the Jetsons theme song? I just don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough. It's one of those that I think, you know, you got to crank it up when it comes on when you're poolside, uh, to, to your point, Andy. It's, it's a great tune. <laughs> you embrace <laughs> still, it. Still cool what to this day. You, you're not going to hold out. Yeah, exactly. you're not going to hold out. Come on, what are you waiting for? A better song to come on? <laughs> I just want to be there when it plays on the radio. It's just it's hilarious to me. Um, 
All right, so let's move on and talk about uh, a movie. Or the grocery I, store. Can you, I mean, just anywhere. <laughs> I can see that one playing at the grocery store, actually, now. Um, yeah, it's got anywhere. that kind of little jazzy thing going on that they might play at Kroger. Uh, but <laughs> uh, a movie that uh, both of us actually watched uh, recently that's getting a, a good bit of awards buzz in this weird, you know, year that we're in, which is, you know, just unlike any other in, in the entertainment business, especially, I think, music has luckily kind of been spared a little bit because of the nature of home studios and stuff like that and artists releasing music themselves nowadays uh and kind of putting stuff out directly on spotify and things like that they don't you don't have to go to a record store like you used to so i think music's done pretty well but man for like movies and tv they really got hammered this year but uh we were given a new David Fincher movie in the form of Mank, which uh, hit Netflix just in the last month. Um, and like I said, is getting some awards buzz. So if you don't know anything about Mank, this is a, a biopic about Herman Mankiewicz, who was this kind of legendary screenwriter. Um, he existed back in the old studio days where you'd have this room of writers and they would basically like write all the movies that the studio had. They'd have this contract room of writers. It wasn't like today where a screenwriter comes up with a screenplay and they sell it to a studio. It was like staff screenwriters. And these, these guys, they were pretty mm -hmm. much all guys back then. They were extremely talented, could basically write anything. Um, brilliant at writing dialogue, coming up with great situations. And these guys were just, by all reports, they were like loose cannons and just kind of, drunks and i mean just all the bad stereotypes you can think of when you think of that kind of a of a career so and herman mankowitz was like every the writer stereotype yeah exactly yeah and mankowitz was like the embodiment yeah. of every single one of them he was just a total louse just a big jerk basically and um you know never made his opinions uh quiet and he had a lot of controversial ones at the time and um he uh, was a great writer as well. He's, of course, the guy that wrote Citizen Kane. And this movie is about him trying to finish up Citizen Kane basically on a deadline uh, that has been set by Orson Welles. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a cool glimpse into Hollywood in the late 1930s and um, also into uh, William Randolph Hearst, who Kane is about famously, mm -hmm. and who was like the most powerful. I don't think people now can imagine William Randolph Hearst, like how much power he had, because there's no one like that today. Like we have, we have TV moguls and we have people like Jeff Bezos and, and Bill Gates, but like Hearst was so powerful. His newspapers were everywhere. He could literally make anyone famous. He could get any politician elected that he wanted to, if he put them in his newspapers, yep. uh, he could make your life. Um, and he did. And he did, yeah. He he made people famous, and he and as this movie mm -hmm. goes into, he got politicians elected to major seats simply by being friends with them, basically, and and putting them in his newspaper. So it's a he's a, like a fascinating kind of character from history, just because of the amount of power that he had, and it's just hard to imagine that uh, now with how split everything is in the media. This was back when newspapers were really it; they were the only way to get any information. So. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in this movie about William Randolph Hearst, but it's really about Herman Mankiewicz and Gary Oldman uh, plays him in the movie. And anybody who listens to the show, know my, you know my thoughts about Gary Oldman. I think he's probably maybe the best actor in, in history as, as far as a movie actor goes. He just can do anything. Uh, never seen him do anything that, uh, never seen him give a performance that wasn't, you know, worth mentioning. And uh, when he's really at his best, it's it's exciting to watch. And and this is one of those performances that I think is one of his best. I liked it better than his performance in 
the darkest hour where he was doing the Winston Churchill thing and that, yeah. that one was fine, but it was a little boring. And uh, I can't remember if he won the Oscar for that one, but I think he did. I think he did too. I, I like him better in this one uh, than I did in that. But, but I gotta say, I found myself a little bit bored and not feeling a whole lot when I was watching this movie. I was surprised that I didn't like Mank a little bit more than I would because I'm such a big Oldman fan. I'm a huge David Fincher fan. His movies, most of them, uh, he's one of those guys that when he's on, like it's hard to beat him. Like Zodiac's one of my all-time favorite movies. Seven, I think is just perfect all the way through. Fight Club's, you know, thrilling to watch still to this day. he just, when he's on, he's really on. But then, you know, mm-hmm. he does kind of make these movies like Benjamin Button, where you're just like, you know, you're kind of... It's, that one it's, plots. It's, it's fine, but it's like, is this one I'm going to go back to? Probably not. And 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 Mank was that way for me. I don't know if this is one that I'm going to go back and watch again, whereas his other movies are kind of ones that I do go back. Like Zodiac, I've seen three or four times, and, and it's like three hours plus long just because it's a it's a thrilling movie to go back and watch. But this one, I, I liked it, and I thought it was very well made, but I just, I didn't love it. I don't know. What did you think? It's funny you say that, because <clears throat> I watched it one night, and then I watched it again literally the next night. <laughs> wow. And so it's really yeah, funny opposite, you say that. Uh, yeah, the opposite feeling for me. Correct. I, 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 I was enthralled by it, and I think it's... You know, <clears throat> there's something about, I think it's gotten a little bit of an unfair, I mean, yes, critically it is, it's done very, very well, though there are pockets where I think people have a problem with it. And I think it's largely because it's about something sacred like Citizen Kane. You know, I think anytime you try to uh, address something that is uh, so widely considered untouchable, yeah. you're kind of setting yourself up for criticism. And I think, I think you're seeing that a little bit. I, I have other friends that are, that are uh, big movie fans and you know, I've talked to them and, and I'm surprised that they didn't like it more. Kind of like, you know, not too dissimilar from, from your own experience. But for me, I mean, I thought it was... I, I, I was just enthralled by it. I loved Oldman's performance. I have. I, I did too. He was very good in it. it. I think it's my favorite thing I've ever seen him in. I was just, really? I was just drawn. Oh yeah. I was just drawn to it. And I liked how, you know, here's this writer, this forward thinking writer who just, it's fun to watch him cut through the bullshit and bureaucracy of the day. And it's also fun to see how that impacts his career negatively. You know, I mean, yeah, he, it doesn't the do guy any can, favors. No, the guy can win an argument. You know, he can win a battle and lose the war, which he did a lot, you know. And so that's an interesting dynamic just in life, you know, that, yeah. that I enjoy watching. Um, Amanda Seyfried did a nice job. Is it Seyfried? Seyfried. 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 Yeah. Seyfried. Yeah. Seyfried did a really nice job. I mean, I've never really seen her in anything that I've loved. Um, but I thought she did a hell of a job. I did too. Um, I, I actually was going to say that, that I was, and my problems with the movie had nothing to do with it uh, being a route around the making of Susan Kane. I was glad that they didn't kind of get more, like I'm glad it wasn't so bogged down in trying to show us the behind the scenes of Citizen Kane because I think it really yeah. was about Herman Mankiewicz and that's what 
it needed yes. to be about it wasn't about Correct. citizen kane it was about this guy and uh how he's just somebody that was unique at that time um but i just was kind of bored like I, it didn't grip me at the beginning but i but that changed when amanda seyfried came in she was what really made me like as soon as we saw her i just thought she was tremendous and every time she was in a scene it was like i was i wanted to see more of her i, I liked her character a lot marion davies yep. and uh i thought she was great in it um and yeah as far as her career i you know mean girls is probably the biggest oh, that's thing right. of hers that that i know and i mean that's a good movie but it, it wasn't like a showpiece for her acting or anything but she was really good in this uh playing marion davies which was a huge part it's a, absolutely and, and again i mean it, it certainly helps i mean if, if if you're listening to this and you've never seen citizen kane i i would probably skip mank because you really need to have an understanding I, I almost say a thorough understanding of Citizen Kane. I think I you mean, need to have seen it. I think it it will be hard to. You'll probably be a little lost if you have never seen it. And I think you really need to remember it. I mean, you really need yeah. to remember the characters. If if it's one thing that it's maybe you saw a few years Citizen ago, Kane, though, you know. well, I think so. But you know, you know how it is. I mean, if it's I don't know. Sometimes there are people that watch movies and yeah, okay, I kind of remember the feel of it. You know, I kind of remember the end. I kind of remember the you know maybe they remember a scene or something. I mean, this is one you got to remember. You really need to have a thorough understanding of the film and yeah. some of the some of the backstory. And but if you do, boy, I enjoyed it, and I I love the way it was shot. You know, it was shot in black and white, and some of the angles and the lighting. I mean, it's just the little yeah. transitions and stuff like that. They were definitely like going for that era, and I, I think they did get that. I wasn't nuts about the cinematography. It wasn't as pretty huh. as as. Uh, because Fincher's movies, man, they just look so good usually. And like, that's one of the big things for me is his movies just look incredible. And this yeah. one looked good, but it didn't look like, you know, like with him, I expect something, I, I expect something to really blow me away with how it looks. And, and I thought it looked good, but it was like, you know, it, it was just, it was fine as far as the yeah. look of it goes. But I wasn't nuts about it. I don't, I don't know. I, I just... Uh, Another thing that bugged me about this, and I, I really also like Lily Collins. I wanted to point her out. She plays uh, um, Mankiewicz's like assistant, I guess. She's like his. Yeah. I don't remember what the word is, but she's the, like he dictates what he's what he wants of the script, and she's the one that writes it for him. Um, and I thought she was tremendous. Uh, she's really good. Yeah. As well, she was very good. But the casting in this movie uh, bugged me a little bit because Amanda Seyfried. And uh, Tuppence Middleton, who played uh, Mankiewicz's wife, both of the women who play those parts are like in their early 30s. And they were supposed, the characters in the movie are supposed to be in like their mid 40s. Um, Mankiewicz included. So he's supposed to be like in his mid 40s. His wife is the same age as him. She's supposed to be in her mid 40s because I looked all this up. And um, uh, Marion Davies is supposed to be about the, the same age, maybe a little bit younger than them. Um, but not much younger. So the, the actors are like 10 years too young, but then you've got Gary Oldman who's 62 years old. So he's 20 years too old to be playing her in <laughs> Mankiewicz. He's way too old. And it's like, he's obviously too old because at one point in the movie, I remember him saying like, and I thought it felt so forced. He's like, I'm 42 years old or something like that. And it's like, they had to say it because like, I'm not going to look at him and think, yeah, this is a 42 year old guy. Like I'm going to think he's like right. 60, you know I mean? Mm -hmm. He looks old. Like he's, he is old. So right it was weird to see them cast these actors because then you're looking at his wife and you're like, man, she's way younger than him. But like in real life, 
Megowitz and his wife were the same age. They were like one year apart of each other. So they should have been, you know, that, that distracted me a little bit. I was, it was kind of, it was like the typical Hollywood crap, you know, where you, you gotta get an, you gotta get a woman who's way younger and, but you can get a man who's way older and, you know, it never works the other way. So that kind of bugged me a little bit. Yeah. But I I thought they did a good job with the casting. I thought that Seifert was really good. I thought Lily Collins was really good. Um, and and I, I can't remember who plays who plays the head of RKO picture the picture studio, but was it? I can't it remember. Is RK- it. Yeah, it yes. was RKO. Yeah, it was RKO. Yeah, because yeah. Susan Kane was released released on RKO. Um, it, it, that that character, it was a. I mean, talk about stealing every scene you're in. Yeah. I mean, that that was a every time he was on screen, I was drawn to it. Yes, I, I felt the same way about a lot of the. Um, a lot of the kind of studio people, the behind the scenes people, I thought they did a really good job. Casting from top to bottom really was good as far yeah. as the actors they picked. Charles Dance did a good job uh, from yeah. Game of Thrones as uh, uh, Hearst. He, I thought he did a really good job as well. Um, he's just one of those guys that's so intense every time he's in anything that you can't really look away from him. But uh, yeah, I just found myself, uh, you know, a little bit like, it wasn't like I, I didn't want to keep watching it because I definitely did. And I was into it, but it took a while for it to get going for me. Um, but I, I definitely thought it was a good movie. I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't put it up there with like my favorite David Fincher movies. I wouldn't put it up there with, you know, kind of Zodiac and seven, but it's a totally different kind of movie. And it's, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's really no way to compare it to those movies. Right. Um, but I was thinking about this movie and, and I really love the fact that Netflix let's directors do these kind of movies because this was just a passion project all the way through. Like this was the movie that Fincher had been trying to make ever since he did fight club, I think. And, and fight club was when he kind of became a, like a name director. It was after he had done seven and then he does fight club. But both of these movies are so acclaimed and even the, the alien movie that he did was really good as well, but people finally knew who he was and he had some kind of some suction in Hollywood and he wanted to do this movie because the screenplay was written by his dad and his That's dad, right. yeah, his dad died in 2003. That's so this right. was, this was like his dad's life project. It's the only screen credit that his yeah. dad has ever had. So it, it, it's kind of a beautiful project. Like it's, a, it's, it was really David Fincher's way to like pay tribute to his father who was like worshiped Herman Mankiewicz and wrote this movie about him, but never was able to see it be made. Uh, and, he had been trying to get it made for forever, but nobody wanted to give him the money for it. And Netflix comes along and finally lets him do it. And I, I just think that's kind of a beautiful thing that m- filmmakers have a place to go because this is a movie that would not do well theatrically. Like if it had been oh, released no. in theaters, no. it's not going to make big money at all. And it's not really that kind no. of a movie. No, um, it's, it's not, it's not made for a, a, you know, a popcorn audience. No, but you've got like these huge name people involved in it. And I think only a Netflix could have made it this way and made it with these kind of production values and um, made it to where we can all watch it pretty easily uh, and given a guy like Fincher an outlet to do this. So I think that's really cool of Netflix. And I think uh, I really like that about this movie that it was such a passion project and it was something that he was just so into and that's hard to replicate. I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing to make a great movie, but it's another one to make one that you've wanted to make, you've always wanted to make. And uh, this is definitely that. So that, that makes me like the movie more than uh, yeah. I necessarily did when I was watching it. But uh, it, it's definitely a good movie. Like it, it's one of those that if you're into 
Hollywood at all and the characters of Hollywood and the history of it, you have to watch it. I think uh, you brought up a good point of, I think seeing Citizen Kane probably is going to help you a lot. You, you definitely can watch it without it and just know that they're talking about Citizen Kane and just, you know, it's because it's really about Herman Mankiewicz. It's not about Citizen Kane. Um, but I think it does help you to have seen it because you'll get a lot of, because they do talk about the movie a lot yeah. um, in it. And they talk about some of the particulars in the movie and you'll just be lost in those scenes. Um, and you'll be wondering why people are making such a big deal about this movie. But Citizen Kane is a like shocking movie for when it came out because of how bad it makes Hearst look and how just like empty of a person it makes him look. And this is like the most powerful person in the country. And yeah. Hollywood funds this movie that just makes him look like a piece of shit, basically. Right. Um, and it, so it's really a, an amazing movie that took major balls to even make. Uh, and I think understanding Herman Mankiewicz a little bit more kind of makes you understand the movie a little bit more, too. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Did it I mean, make it's, you it, want? Did it make yeah. you want to watch this and gain again? Like right it after? It did. It did. And I, I almost looked at it or, or felt like it was a a distant, but it's almost like a distant sequel, you know, not that you're picking up on the same yeah. story, but that, you know, it's almost, you know, everything is, is in a cinematic universe now. Right. And exactly. it, it, it almost feels like another <laughs> entry cinematic from the, from the cinematic universe, so to speak, I love you it. know, yeah, yeah, it really, it just, it, it just put me back there. And, and maybe, you know, part of it too, is I really like Citizen Kane. I mean, I, I, I think. Me too. I, it's, I, think I love that, it too. That, yeah. It, it's a film that deserves every accolade it's ever gotten. You know, yeah, I don't, I I don't mean, think it's overrated at all. It's, it's no, one of those. not yeah. at all. I mean, I cherish that film. So to see something like this and, you know, there, there is originality. It's not, it's not just, um, you know, it's not hero worship. You know, I think it no. would have bothered me if it was just naked hero worship, just, you know, just slobbering all over, you know, just this movie and, you know, all this stuff. Um, and, oh, here's this brilliant writer and, you know, all this stuff. But I mean, it, it truly, it, it's a three-dimensional character. Like I say, I mean, he hasn't, he's not the happiest guy at the end of the movie, you know, no. um, in spite of things, in spite of success, in spite of, you know, so you know, it's just an interesting contrast between this writer and his work and, you know, how, how work can, you know, it can impact you for the better. It can impact you for the worse. Sometimes it doesn't impact you at all. Sometimes you just are, you are who you are and, you know, whether you're successful or not, that's not going to change. And okay, that's it. You know, it's just ultimately, I guess you can boil it down to this. It's a movie about an outsider, period. Yeah, it's, it, he's, it, an, he's, he's an outsider. It in, is, yeah. In a town full of insiders. And his talent is such that you have to take him seriously, but you can tell that nobody nobody wants to entertain this guy. It you seems know? like, it's weird because it's like everyone likes him and they kind of like when he's around, but then they don't really, like, to a point, it's like they don't really want to hear his thoughts on on life, but they kind of like when he's around. They especially like when he's a drunk, but they don't right. necessarily like so much when he's got uh, serious opinions about things. So it, right. it's kind of heavy in that way. It is, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's I, the other thing. I mean, the, the movie's also about alcoholism. You know, it it's is, about yeah. addiction. Yeah. 
It, yeah, it definitely is. I would tell you if you sit down to watch it and you feel a little like, where's this going at the beginning, just to stick with it, because it really does, um, it really does get going. And I, I especially like the stuff that they do with like the, uh, the governor's race in California at the time and um, the Upton Sinclair stuff. I thought that was kind of really interesting and yeah. uh, made me kind of get look back into Upton Sinclair again because he was a guy I hadn't uh, yeah. thought about in a while. I mean, another legend who I, I did the same about. Yeah, I did the same. I, I went down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah, you know, exactly. Afterwards. Yeah. And, and Bill Nye plays him in the movie, which I thought was a nice little, uh, right. nice little touch. Right. So uh, it, it was, it's a cool movie and it's, it's just a, a total labor of love. So if you, if you like movies and if you like David Fincher as a director, I think you probably owe it to him to watch this movie because it's, it's the movie he's always wanted to make. So uh, it, yeah. it's, it's certainly worth watching just for that. And Gary Oldman is tremendous in it. And uh, he should be nominated for probably another Oscar. And uh, yeah, Amanda Seyfried was really good as well. I, I just, I loved her. I wouldn't be upset if she was nominated for an Oscar for this too. No, I, and I think she will be. I think she will be. The, the, the stuff that I have read about it is just uniformly in praise of her. And as it, as it should be, it's, it's deserved. Yeah, she was great. Like I said, she, as soon as she showed up when she was strapped to that stake, yeah. like she was burning burned at the stake or whatever in a movie they were shooting, that was when the movie really took off for me. And I was like, okay, we we needed another character to to carry us and make us really care about this. And uh, it couldn't just be this kind of drunk, like, uh, right. you know, know-it-all guy the whole time. Right. And then she comes in and I think makes the whole thing a lot more accessible and interesting uh, and, and right they away. play off of each other so well their banter really it, yeah. it is just it's just entertaining yep totally agree so that's uh, those are my thoughts on Mank. um obviously one that's worth your time and it's uh streaming for you right now on netflix if you want to check it out put aside gratitude Mank. that you've done your best work was no accident i removed any distraction eliminated every excuse your family your cronies liquor I gave you a second chance. And for that, I cannot thank you enough. But with credit for a risky undertaking must go the weight of real responsibility. Given your current health, I wonder if you're up to it. And frankly, I wonder too, but we're fine now. You may never work in this town again, Mac. <laughs> Orson, please. Then you force me to remind you. We have a contract that you understood and agreed to. If you fight this, it will go to what your new guild calls arbitration, and you, my friend, will lose. Script, money, and assuming such a thing still exists in Hollywood, the respect of those who honor their word. How can I put this nicely? I may be a loose cannon, but you, my friend, are an outsider. They're exasperated by me, and I've earned it, but you, a self-anointed savior hyphenate, they're just waiting to loathe you. Remind me never again to work with a washed-up alcoholic. Duly noted. Nelson Algren, please copy. All right. No doubt you'll get your credit, but ask yourself, who's producing this picture, directing it, starring in it? That's just what we need when Susan Leaves came. An act of purging violence. Man, this is, this is fun. And I just want to say that, first of all. This is good to go back and forth like this. Every time we do it, uh, it's just it's the highlight of my week, man. It's just a lot of fun. <laughs> I agree. But, um, highlight of the year know, this, uh, this time. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, we talked about um, 
bad lines in songs. And on the flip side of that, I was wondering, are what lines when I, you know, look, we listen to a lot of stuff. I mean, we take it seriously. We think about it. You know, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't maybe realize about music is that, you know, you, you listen to it to think a lot of times, you know, it helps you think, uh, you think about it afterwards. Uh, you'll be in, you know, going about your day and you'll see something that reminds you of a line or reinforces a line or something like that. So what, you know, when I say that, are, are what great lines, what great lines or great verses to you stick out? Like, are there any verses, any lines that are just near and dear to your heart? Not necessarily words to live by or anything like that. You know, we're not, you know, this isn't bumper sticker stuff, but, but just anything that has kept you, uh, you know, has just, has, has just been close to your heart over the years. We talked about bad lines, flip side. What is it that's really good, really good that comes to mind that, that you've always got close? Uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is uh, the Thong Song by Cisco. Let me see that thong. Uh, that's what, yeah. Uh, that's, that's the first that's, one. Those are, those are words to live by. At one point, they were. <laughs> at one point in everyone's life, those are words, words to go by, I think. At one, um, at one point, truer words were never spoken. <laughs> but for real, um, when you were mentioning this, uh, one of the first songs that came to mind, and it's like a song of, of just constant examples of this. I think every lyric in it is great is one of your, I know it's one of your favorites, Bruce Springsteen's darkness on the edge of town. Oh yeah. It's right up there with my absolute favorite songs by him and by, you know, extension of that, my absolute favorite songs ever written. I just think the the character in it is just kind of quintessential Springsteen. And there's like a mystery in it. There's a, a real darkness in it that is kind of sad and scary um, but there's something free about it too. And, and, and there's so many, you know, great lines in it, the line about everybody's got a secret son and so something that they just can't face. Well, everybody's got a secret son, something that they just can't face. Some folks spend their whole lives trying to keep it. They carry it just non-stop great lyrics the the chorus is fantastic i i I just think of darkness on the edge of town as one of those that the lyrics say something to me they don't necessarily describe me because i don't know that i'm that mysterious of a person i don't know that i'm that serious of a person even as this guy in the song but like i get what he's looking for and i get why he keeps going out there even though he's got this other life it's just a, an incredible song. It's just one of those that gets like, I get chills every time I hear it. It's, it's a song. It's another song about searching. Yeah. It's, it, it's searching, you know, the, the, the guy in it, you know, Springsteen does not go into detail, but you can tell the guy's taking his lumps. I mean, you know, with the one thing, you know, you, you know, he's lost his wife, you know, he's, He's trying to, you know, work on, you know, he has his work. And you're not real sure what it is, but, but you can tell it's eating at him. It may not be going well. Um, the way that song, that song in particular ends, 
and it's the last song on the album that it appears on. So the way the whole thing ends, you know, it's just that has always stuck with me. That, that might be that, the best closing lyric uh, that I can think of, honestly, as far as, as far as fading an album out. So that, and that album's full of them. I mean, uh, Badlands has a lot of those great lyrics. Uh, the yeah. Promised Land has a lot of those lyrics that you can live by, kind of, uh, yeah. as you were saying. Um, I don't know. That's just one of those albums I, I go back to when it comes to lyrics that I just, they speak to you and they just say something to you. I don't know. It's just something about it. I, th I think it, that album in particular cuts through a lot of the artifice of life, you know? I mean, I think, you know, and, and there have been songs about this too. We, we kind of do the dance, right? We kind of, you know, everybody's trying to, you know, th there's this veneer and there's this sheen over the human experience. You know, yeah. we don't always reveal everything. You can't, right? I mean, it's, it's being, living's a tricky thing. Um, but but those songs, that collection of songs in particular, just really does a nice job of just cutting through the artifice and just just getting to the heart of it, you know, just getting yeah. right right down to the the bone, you know. And especially, I mean, Bad, Badlands to to me is you know that's that's up there with Darkness on the Edge of Town. I mean, um, Lights Out Tonight, Trouble in the Heartland, right? I mean, that's yeah. bang. It's like, and that's yeah. how things start. It's all right. All right, let's go. Now we we've already cut in. We've already cut in. Let's go. He was really just in such a zone when he was doing that whole record. I think it's yeah. everything is so stark and brutal. Um, yeah. But it, it, there's just something great about that. It's definitely not the album you put on when you want to you feel good about something or pump your fist. Really. Right. But uh, it's uh, every song's got something for you, some kind of lesson that you can take with you. And uh, that's yeah, it's. It, it, it's not it's not a it's not an album of like of triumph it, it's an album no. of like of like a wednesday afternoon it you is, know yeah. not it, a particularly good one either right right just <laughs> you know the routine the you know the, i made it through the another day at the at the factory you know I mean, right. it's, it's just that it's classic Springsteen. So it kind right. of sums up his whole, another song that always comes to mind to me. And I, man, I'm sounding like a, like an old guy here. And I hate the word, I hate the term dad rock. I don't know why I hate that term so much. I do too. But people I, yeah. use that. That's such an in vogue word now for like any rock that came out in like the seventies and sixties. Right. But I'm going to go with another dad rock classic here for you from Neil Young, Rocking in the Free World. That's one of those songs I mm. always go back to and really sums up that the whole attitude of it is just something that I, I strive to just keep in, like burning in myself. And huh. the, the, the one verse that always jumps out at me is when he's just shredding George Bush, the first George Bush's huh. whole like the thousand points of light thing. 
and he's just torching it. And he says, you know, we got a thousand points of light for the homeless man, and we got a kinder, gentler machine gun hand. We got a thousand points of light for the homeless man. We got a kinder, gentler machine gun hand. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think that's such a great line and there's so much power in there and there's so much smart critique of like American, and this is a Canadian guy, but so much good critique of American politics at a time when the Republican Party was so popular with everyone really. Um, Yeah that it, I, I remember when I heard that and I, for like the first time and it's like, I didn't even really realize that you could say that kind of stuff in a popular song like this. I mean, obviously there's a lot of examples in punk and things like that where you say stuff like this, but I mean, this is like a, a song that you hear regularly on the radio and he plays it at every show he's ever done. And uh, it's, it's pretty scathing lyric about really popular policies and politics at the time and and he's shining a light on it so i just thought it was so cool and yeah. uh the line about you know the styrofoam boxes for the ozone layer uh it's just great it's classic neil young and it's just kind of flipping a bird to everything that america what's the for. line what's the line about that's one more child that'll never yeah the one to, when he what said is the, about the baby being thrown in the garbage can. Um, yes, that's one God, more child they'll never get to go to school. Never go to never, school, never get to fall in love, and never get to be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great line too. That that song's yeah. full of them. That's just one of those perfect songs. You're right. That every time it comes on, I crank it all the way up. But uh, I do too. I do too. You're right. That that line about a kinder, gentler machine gun hand. Is, that's so is, good. That I mean, that's that's perfect. It really just, is. It's perfect. Yeah. So that's that's one of my favorite verses. Yeah, in music history, there's a lot of them, man. I mean, I I could, uh, yeah, we could go all day on this one. I think. Right. You know something, and, and I don't know if it's words to live by necessarily, but but the the you know we're talking about Dylan earlier. You know, a Dylan line that I've always liked, always always liked, always kept it close, is you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. So fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that just. <laughs> For some reason, I, you know, it, it speaks to me on multiple levels, I think, you know, and that's just a, you know, I've just always taken that one with me. You don't need a weatherman to know it's where the wind blows. 
that's like subterranean homesick blues has like a million lyrics in it i mean it's like yeah. the most mouthy wordy song that <laughs> right. he ever wrote and that's the line though that sticks out because i think the way the music hits and it like kind of it, it pulls back a little bit when he says that and that's just the line right. that really sticks out it's like he knew that that was the best line in the song he's like I think we you're really right. gotta we've really gotta make this one hit hard because the rest of these lyrics are good but no one knows what the hell i'm talking about but that one really means something right right and it's just the i mean it's almost like the way the song i mean it's built you know it, it's you know just this constant 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 flow of the line 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 and then hits it with it it's almost like like he drops the mic and walks away and yeah. it, it, it's just got that thing and maybe that's it too it's because as we know i mean it's not what it's uh, it's not always what you say it's it's also how you say it, you sure. know, that gives the line its its meaning and its force. Um, and yeah, it's, that's just one that you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. You it's know? a classic, just, yeah. Come on, you got it. Definitely, you got one it. Of, definitely one of his best. Go with your gut. You got it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, you know, I, you know and, and thinking about music, I mean, you know, the stuff that's come out, let me talk about, let me just ask you about uh, a couple things. And I don't know if I necessarily have opinions on, but I'd be, I'd be curious to see if you do. Um, number one, I think the song of the summer was, uh, let's see, it was, uh, it was WAP, right? Cardi B and Megan uh, The Stallion. <laughs> yes. So say it, say it right, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Got to get probably, all these. Probably get all these in probably go down as like the song of the year really when it's all said and done probably probably ev everywhere one of those that you couldn't get away from did you have any you know did you have any any feeling on that song one way or the other because when i heard it i almost felt like it struck me as like a novelty song like yeah it's 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 outrageous but it's like it's like outrageous for the sake of outrageous you know what i mean it's not it's not like trying to be sexy or sensual or no not at you, all it's, you know it's, i mean it's it's just that's not it's what just, they were going for <laughs> no 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 i mean but it's just like it's just out it's not meant to be taken seriously was kind of how i felt yeah i mean i don't think it's one of those that you would um i don't think it's one of those that you would sit down and write your dissertation on but <laughs> you know what i mean but but i think it it's not that kind of song like that's not what they were going for i think it was radical in a way though because it was so just like in your face vulgar and totally, yeah. it's a, it's a song that doesn't have a man on it and in rap that's pretty rare it's it's rare to have a, a song that's by a woman and then they bring in another woman to do another verse like that's pretty rare in rap even yeah. this far into the genre's history and for it to be such a big hit despite being like you couldn't even say the title on the radio I think is pretty remarkable. So now I think novelty track kind of lessens it a little bit. And okay. when I think of novelty songs, I think of like, you know, the, like the purple people eater and stuff like that. I mean, I think right, of like right. tiny Tim tiptoe through the tulips and stuff like that. It, just silly <laughs> shit. And this one I think was a little bit more radical than that. And it will probably have a little bit more staying power, but you know, is it one of those songs that I think like, um, is you know it's one of the greatest things ever written probably not but cardi b i think her whole thing is she's just going to hit you in the head with a sledgehammer like she's not she's not going for subtlety ever so that's no. never her thing she's always no. from from day one been about you know it's a woman who used to strip for a living and loves to tell you about it so 
She's not, right. she's subtlety is not her, her thing. Um, and this is just kind of the most extreme version of that. So uh, I liked it. I mean, I thought it was cool. It wasn't one of those songs that I like listened to over and over again or anything, mostly because I, I kind of felt weird listening to it because I'm just like, you know what I mean? This wasn't, this wasn't written for me. Like this is kind of a weird, it, it, I can't really sing along to it. You know what I'm saying? So. Or are we, are we not the intended audience? Do you think we're not the intended I don't audience? Think so. I don't oh, think so. Um, even though, I mean, the two of us were, were definitely, you know, big fans of the genre in general, but it, this was a song that was, you know, I mean, strictly, I think kind of a celebration of women and for women. And it just, as a man, it's just a weird song to kind of listen to and sing along with. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, it's, it was a good song and certainly got a lot of attention this year and got a lot of it. Yeah. Took our focus yeah. away from thinking about COVID-19 for five minutes. So I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> What about, what about, uh, uh, you know, thinking about popular music, uh, Taylor Swift came out with two albums. The first was folklore over the summer. Um, the, 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 the second one, uh, just came out what last week, the week before, I, I think it was called evermore. Um, I listened to, I listened to about half of folklore and, just because I'm curious, you know, I know that's where, you know, that's where the everybody's ears are going to be, you know, so I might an, as well check it out. It's an event, man. When she puts it out, yeah, it's an event. She's one of the few artists out there that's like that. I think that yeah. moves the needle every time she puts something new out. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't heard a note of the second one, but again, I, you know, I listened to folklore and, and not all of it, most of it. And, and I liked it, you know, I liked it. I thought she, I, I thought the, she wrote a lot of songs in third person. And I thought that worked well for her, you know, that's, just that's in, not typical for her. She was always a, a first person no, kind of singer. No. Yeah, totally. She was always, you know, let the pen bleed, you know, yeah. um, that, that type of writer. Um, but I like it when, I mean, she's obviously self-absorbed, right? I mean, that, 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 that is, and that's the mark of a, like many, many artists, they, they're self-absorbed. Um, but I thought folklore was neat because she kind of stepped away from her quote unquote herself, her public self and kind of spun these yarns, you know, these stories. And it was entertaining. It was entertaining, man. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't go really go back to it. I was on one drive. I had to take one drive and I ended up listening to, like I say, most of the album on, on the one drive. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't really feel, you know, uh, uh, I didn't feel it pulling me back in or anything, but, but I, I thought it was good work. You know, I thought it was really fairly substantial work. And I thought it was maybe a place that she could get to, um, with time, you know, she was a, look, when she found, when she, She's when still she really, found, I don't know she like 30 right, at this point. Right. Yeah. Something, yeah. yeah. Something like that. When she found success, I mean, she was super young and yeah, then she was like 16 or something. Right. And then you, okay. I mean, eyeballs are on you. You want to have hits and you, I mean, this is a, that's a young person. That's a, that's a, you know, you want to be, you want to be mainstream. You want to be top 40. Like, you know, that's a, that's a common thing with that age. Right. But I always thought, I kind of wondered, okay, once you get past that, I wonder what you do then. Um, have you listened? Did you have any, any feelings one way or the other? I mean, did, did, did I, it, did, go ahead. I hate to tell you this, but I haven't even heard one single song off of the album. <laughs> so I said it was an event, but I'm like, I don't even like, I didn't even listen to it. And it's not anything. Man, you're, so, you're so into dad rock, man. I know. I'm too. I'm listening to too much dad rock. Um, 
<laughs> That's what happens when you're a dad, I guess. I don't know. I guess so. It's just yeah. a natural thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just, she's another one of those. We, we, I talked about it with Cardi B, like, you know, that, that music's not really like, I'm not the demo. So I don't necessarily no. always feel like I need to listen to it. But the thing that I'll say about Taylor Swift and, and her and her going in this direction that I like is the only thing I ever really wondered about with her when she was younger and I would hear her songs and, and they were well-written songs, especially for somebody who was so young when she was writing them and they were sung with such confidence. And, you know, I always admired her for that, uh, that she had kind of this, this voice that was pretty clear. Like you knew it was her song when she sang it. It wasn't like she was adopting a different persona every time she did a, a hit. It was pretty much the same kind of deal every time. And I like that about her. But I always felt like the songs she sang and were so, was so famous for like would sound really stupid when she was like in her late thirties or in her forties and she was going on tour and singing her old songs. Like she was just <laughs> going to sound really dumb singing about like Romeo and Juliet and the high school <laughs> cheerleader and shit like that. Like she was just going to sound stupid singing that stuff when she was older. Like it was going to sound really sad. So I'm glad she's now like doing songs that I think she can sing when she gets a little bit older and she goes out on those, you know, those tours and she's doing her hits. She doesn't have to just do, uh, you know, like teeny pop stuff, which was kind of, you know, teeny romance heartbreak songs. Right. Um, and even the stuff she did on like 1989, which I did actually listen to, uh, would sound kind of weird for an older artist maybe to, to sing. And yeah, I think I her, her music has always kind of been like in the moment, like it sounds great right now, but then, you know, when you get a little older, maybe you'll sound kind of like you're just trying to be young again and that's never a good look. Right. Um, yeah. But I think with this stuff, it sounds like, it sounds, you know, a little bit more, I hate the word mature because it's just kind of so, it's okay. a, but it, it, that's really kind right. of the story, I think. <laughs> it's a little more mature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And that's really um, for her. I think it'll be good for her when she goes out later and, and looks back and does these songs. She won't sound like someone who's just trying to be 16 for their entire life, you know? No, no. I mean, she, you know, on the, the Taylor Swift solo acoustic tour, this will be... Exactly. This will be the stuff. Which is going to sell out. But yeah, I, I just... Yeah, uh, will. I, but she's one of those artists that I... I like her, I think, I, I admire her. And I love the thing that she's doing now where she's like re-recording her old albums that she doesn't own the masters to. I think that is fantastic because so many artists have been screwed over the years by record labels when they signed a contract when they were young. Totally. And who knew when she was like 16 and she signed this label, this contract, that she was gonna end up being the biggest songwriter and singer of her generation. I'm, I mean, no I'm, one could have seen it coming. So, I mean, I, I am shocked. I am shocked that that contract, and maybe it was, I don't know, but it seemed like an odd, not odd. I mean, this stuff happens, but, but I'm surprised that that kind of stuff wasn't renegotiated somewhere along the line. You know what I mean? I don't know the, yeah, I don't know the particulars of it and how much. Yeah. I, it may, maybe it was, but you would think, you know, if she went to somebody and said, Hey, I, you know, I want my master's. And they said, uh, no, it's going to make us a lot of money, you know, a, a thousand times over. So sorry. Well, I think she have the leverage to say, look, either you give me my master's or this contract is done and I'm going across the street to whoever. I think it was pretty much what happened and, and she went across the street. So it, oh, was okay. like, it was like a standoff because Scooter Braun, I think that's the guy's name, the big machine records guy. Yeah. I get, yeah. He's I think like you're a, right. 
I think he's like a famous, just kind of a dickhead. And, and he's one of those record label guys who thinks like, I'm the guy who found you. So I own you and you right, owe yeah. your entire career to me, even though she's clearly a very talented person who had a voice from early on that many of us will never find. Right. Um, and she knew how to channel it. Uh, but he was just, I think one of those guys that wanted to own her and own her music. And uh, she just wasn't going to have it because, you know, she's about as powerful as it gets in music. So yeah, I mean, she's never going to have more leverage than she does right now. Exactly. Yeah. You, you can't, I can't imagine her ever having it. So I think yeah. the idea of re-recording your songs is kind of brilliant. I, I love it. And I'm sure there are a lot of artists that wanted to do that, but just didn't because maybe they didn't have that kind of clout and the money for studio time to re-record old hits. Right. Uh, but I imagine with her fans and as much as they love her, that the new versions of the songs will do well and maybe they'll just go away from even using the old versions. See, I wondered about that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question, right? I mean, once once a song is a hit and it becomes so ingrained, another version or an alternative version, at least to a, to a mass audience, might feel weird. You know, it might feel like, eh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's good, it's that. You know, it is the song, but it's not, you know. It might, so feel, I wonder, it might feel weird. Yeah, you're right about that. I wonder what, I'd be, I'm just curious as to what the level of success is because you're right, her, her following is about as loyal as it gets. I could see them listening to those songs strictly because they're doing it as a favor for her. And I'm sure they'll sound great. I mean, I'm sure that they will, they might even sound better than the originals. So uh, her voice is probably better now than it was then when she cut some of those probably. really old ones. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it could be successful, but I don't even think for her, it was like, I need to make all this money on these songs. I think it was just, she wants to have like the definitive, she wants to own the definitive version so she can sell it for commercials or whatever she wants to do. Right. Like we just saw Dylan do. Right. You know, that's how valuable it is to own your own music because then you can make a billion dollars one day by just selling all of it. <laughs> and so now we're going to hear Bob Dylan songs and like, you know, McDonald's ads for the rest of eternity because, you know, he doesn't own them anymore. Even though he was always kind of one of those guys that sold his songs anyway. He was never You're very right. stingy right. Uh, with his music, which is so interesting. It's just another thing that makes Dylan so interesting that he's, he's like the classic, you think of like all the art school people loving him, but really he'd like to make money as much as anybody. And Absolutely. He'd put his songs on a car commercial, you know, before anybody else would. So well, wasn't he in a, a Super Bowl Cadillac commercial yes. a few years ago? Yeah. He was in yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, he's in yeah, he was act. actually in it. Yeah. That's, and, that's... And, and it wasn't surprising at all. I was like, yeah, I mean, this is Dylan. You never know what he's going to do, but uh, <laughs> it's not going to be what you expect. So uh, good luck. Good luck figuring him out. I mean, exactly. it can't be done. It's, that can't be done. So I think um, for Taylor Swift, it's really, it's that kind of thing. She wants to just be able to, like if I want to sell love story to be on a, you know, some kind of match.com ad or something, then I'm right. going to do that. So I have the, I have the power. I have exactly. the power to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about new music and we'll, I think we'll wrap up um, talking about Bruce. Bruce oh, put out man. a new album. Bruce Springsteen put out a new album called letter to you. Uh, came out, I think what, at the end of October um, or was it, yeah, I think it was about the end of October, wasn't it? Is that right? It sounds right to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't um, have the date down, but it sounds right to me. Yeah, I, I, certainly, I, had it, to it. I certainly had it marked on my calendar. Uh, <laughs> I, knew, I know when it came out. But um, you know, what do you, what'd you think? You know, this is a different, kind of, it's a different kind of album for him, just in terms of how you make music. This is one where, 
you know, he, it may seem, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, unimportant details for, for some people, but, but the way you make, make music can impact the overall uh, feel of an album, overall feel of even a single song. For this particular record, he invited the whole E Street Band into the studio. They were all in the same room, which he hasn't done in, in years and years. I mean, this is how they used to cut the old stuff. Yeah. So you got everybody in the same room. They're not emailing in their parts as attachments and the, you know, all that stuff. Everybody's there. Everybody's sipping whiskey. Everybody's staying at his, at his house, his compound, whatever in Jersey. And they're, they knocked out an album in about a week. Uh, which insane, is, man. which is wild, which for, is wild for this guy, especially because he is such a meticulous, like take forever to put an album out and put it together. But it just, it came together and cut this one really fast. And from what I understand, he didn't even demo these songs. He didn't even record demo versions. He, the band didn't hear them until he got everybody in a circle and he played each song acoustically and they jotted down part ideas and that kind of thing. So That's, that sounds almost hard to believe. Right. But I mean, this is a band that kind of knows each other. They've played so many shows together. I, I don't even, you can't even count how many times these guys have stood together uh, on stage and played. And it's really one of those kind of like ESP things, I think, where you just, they're able to talk to each other without right. saying anything. Right. Um, and that's the, the mark of kind of these great bands that have been together uh, for so long. So, so let me, let me ask you this, on, on a scale of, maybe a, a human touch or a working on a dream to um, born to run born in the USA. Where does the river, I mean, he was on a hell of a run for a while. What, yeah, what where does Nebraska. this rank <laughs> Nebraska? I mean, you know, absolutely. I, I put devils and dust up there. I adore devils. And I dust, know you but, love that one. But where does this, where does this rank? This one, I actually, I liked it a lot. I, I liked it. I wouldn't put it, you know, I mean, it's not up there with that kind of sacred ground river, Nebraska kind of stuff. Those are the really the darkness on the edge of town stuff, but I liked it probably more than I liked um, Wrecking Ball, which was an album I actually did like a lot too, but I think I like Letter to You Man, better. I like that a lot. I, I think I put Letter to You up there in like the rising neighborhood, maybe even a little bit better than the rising because the rising has a couple clunkers on it for me. But Letter to You was really yeah, does, all the yeah. way through. I thought, you know, a really good, good record. And The Rising also feels so long, I feel like, when you listen to it. But this one was kind of brisk. And uh, so I'd probably put it in that neighborhood. I mean, the, the really, as far as the really good newer albums, and when I say newer, like post-1990, this is right at the top of the list. It, it right. just has that, that great sound. It's got... Um, it's not like trying to be a concept album. I think there's some good biographical stuff here. There's some good story stuff here. There's some good statements uh, about, you know, life in general. Um, you know, there's some wisdom. There's some great playing on it, great guitar playing, um, which is kind of an underrated part of, of what Bruce is able to do. Uh, some of his best guitar work I've ever heard is on this album. And I just think it sounds great. Yeah, it really is good. Yeah. And it does. Yeah, you're right. And let you're me right. Talk, let me start, I, you know, start I, with the album cover too, because this is the best album cover I think he's had since Tunnel of Love. So we're going back like our whole lives, basically. He, he he's just phoned it in on the album yeah, covers. Eighty-seven. It's, yeah, he's phoned it in on the album covers for the last thirty <laughs> years, 
And uh, this one, though, is a really cool, striking. I actually, I like the album cover to Western Stars, too, but this one uh, I really liked. I, I, I kind of like the album cover for The Rising. I thought that was appropriate. I thought it was appropriate. It's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Not as good yeah, as the Tunnel of Love cover. You but. know, just that, that Tunnel Love cover something. That, that's, that's hard good, to do. That just puts you right. That puts you right in the middle. I mean, before you even cue up a song, you know, you know where you are. <laughs> that bolo you know tie. I mean, very few people can wear the <laughs> bolo tie, but he did it well. I know. <laughs> yeah, w- without without being ironic. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I the when I listened to it, the, I think my first thought was this thing flows really well. The sequence just flows so well like you could just just keep it going man just you know as soon as is i'll see you in my dreams fades out just start it over man because it's just it just rolls you know so well um is here's my question to you as a listener is bruce as hungry as what he was uh no there's no way i mean you just you, i don't think you can how be. could you be when you're when you're that yeah. rich i mean the guy is so rich and he's so just like he doesn't have to do anything Lauded. anymore yeah and i mean everyone loves him he's kind of reached a, a place where like no one ever has any problem with anything he does um right even going on like doing a broadway show where it's just you by yourself doing your greatest hits like if any other artist does that all you're going to hear about is how self-indulgent it is and how, yep. you know, they think they're so great. And it probably, and, and it probably would be, by the way, it probably would be coming from another artist. It would, but like with Bruce, he's able to do that kind of thing. And so, no, I don't think there's any way he's as hungry as he was even probably when he did the rising uh, 20 years ago, but he, uh, he still got plenty to say. And I think he's just, such Oh, a, I think he does. I think his band is just such a treasure and he shows them off so well here. And and whenever, I mean, it's not rocket science. Why the albums that pretty much everybody thinks are his best albums are the ones where the E street band is like playing their best music. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, the the reason the river kicks so much ass is because they were in the room together. Right. And it, you know, it's not some magic. It's not some big mystery. It's like, it's, it's these guys playing these instruments. Like that's why it's so good. And the rising too. I mean, they were back together and they just sounded great. Uh, And on this album, they just sound fantastic again. And uh, it, it, it's, it goes to what you were talking about with the sequencing. The album just sounds like one thing kind of uh, from the start the, the, the opening track sounds a little bit different than the rest of them, which I think is a good intro, but once you get into it, uh, it's pretty much like the sound is pretty much the same and that's not a bad thing at all. I think it works. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's got a vibe, you know, and it rides that vibe for, you know, forty five minutes or something. I mean, it's it's a it's a really cool thing. They're, they're you know, trying to be, you know, objective about it. There are there are places where there's some lazy writing. There's there's some lazy writing, some cliches. <laughs> Is there not, or am I, I being too? No, I'm sure there are. I I wasn't. Um hit with a bunch of them though when i was listening to it like i wasn't cringing or anything at uh nothing stuck out to me as really bad i mean what was uh you, you know anything off the top of your head 
off the top of my head, I mean, you know something? I never loved it when Bruce, and he does this a lot, he references dreams a lot, you know? And, and <laughs> that, that's, that's one thing that... He does like that. He likes that. And, and I think we could be a little, I think we could pin it down just a little bit more. And I know that's not how they made this album. I understand that. That's not how they did it. They did it as um, we want to, we want to, the, the whole premise of this album is to capture lightning in a bottle. He had these songs. That's part one. Part two is to bring the band in and to react to the writing. So I get that. Yeah. Um, I just, I just wish we could have been a little more, I wish there could have been a little more of an angle here instead of a broad stroke there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think this is that. I don't think he was going for Devils and Dust or Nebraska here. You know what I mean? He's not no. trying to get you to think real hard about like the state of the world. But No, but even I would say even on like the river and born in the USA, he can do he did that. You oh, know? he really did that on those. Yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. and even even there's there are places on the rising. Now there's some there are, you know, there are some weak tracks on the rising, there's no question. But, you know, on on a bunch of those songs, you can get, you know, you don't have to be like literary with a capital L, but you can you can fill in some detail and still kick ass. There's nothing I will say there's nothing on this album that touched me like a song like you're missing does yeah. from the rising, which is just yeah. one of those songs that just gets me every time. And it's one of the best to tear your eye every yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, it's one of his best songs. And um, even my city of ruins, like th those songs. And I think it's not necessarily that they hit, you know, they came out after nine 11 because a lot of them were written before that even. Right. Um, but it, there's just something about them that is just, emotional and i don't get that from this album so this one doesn't move me like that um but this this record i think is more uh a little bit more free and loose and kind of uh just a, a really a showpiece for the band i i almost feel like it, it is it, it, yeah i think it is um and i don't have a problem with that i mean that's that's no I, I think the e street band deserves it after so long of you know being behind the kind of biggest name in rock Right. Yeah. Just no, kind of have it to be there, but uh... and, and there are some undeniable masterpieces on this album. I mean, you can. That's one thing I think you can count on with Bruce is even you know later in the career, you know, from the rising on, there is at least one, two, maybe three true masterpieces yeah. on everything he's put out. Yeah. You know, so there may be, I mean, I think there are more peaks and valleys after the rising. There certainly are, but you can always count on at least two or three masterpiece songs. The ones um, I, the ones yeah. I really liked here. I lo love the title track. That's one of those that I can just play yep. Yep. endlessly. I, I can listen to it. I think letter to you is fantastic. And I think uh, I told you this, I thought rainmaker was great because it was to me, the only song on the album that was like about, what we we're kind of going through at this time. It was the only one that felt right. like obviously political. Yeah and, yeah. and it wasn't nearly as like hard hitting as, you know, born in the USA or something, but it's still, I thought the message was great. I thought the, um, you know, the, the metaphors were well done and it was just a great song like that to me was uh, yep. kind of one of the masterpieces on this one. Sometimes folks believe in something so bad, so bad, so bad. 
I completely agree. Completely agree. I think Ghosts is is a masterpiece. I mean that that song is a fucking masterpiece. Ghosts is really good. And, you know, Ghosts, Song for the Orphans, Rainmaker, Burn and Train. I mean, those are those are masterpiece songs. Most of those They're are back back half of the album too. A lot of those are a couple of them at least. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, usually you know I mean when you don't. Uh, get everybody showing up at the best but springsteen's always been good at 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 putting some of his best stuff toward the the back half of the album he he never really you don't lose your interest when you're right past the a side because i i mean i hate it and i know you hate it too when like you buy an album and the first three tracks are really all you need to listen to the rest of it's crap <laughs> you know what i mean there's so many albums like that that are especially in the the early days and yeah in the, especially in like the CD days uh, where oh, they, would, they would just stack all the good songs right at the top because they just figured no one was going to get past that. And uh, they were right <laughs> because the rest of the song sucks. So. Man, the, the other problem with the CD era was that, and you kind of alluded to this with, with The Rising, though there are, uh, there are much better examples than The Rising, is that they, I mean, those albums were fucking packed with so songs. Long. Every, they, they were like, shit. hey, we can get two hours of music on here. Let's oh do it. Oh, my God. It, and it did not, you did not need to put out all that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's exactly I still think, right. I still think maybe, maybe I'm an old, well, I know I'm an old soul. So are you. But, <laughs> I, but 10 songs, 10 songs. It's the perfect number. I mean, you can't go wrong with 10 songs. It is. And there are obviously there are examples of records where people have done great stuff with more tracks than that but 10 is like if you just cut it down to your best 10 like it's always going to be good right yes exactly and when an album is like 38 40 minutes long in that neighborhood those are always the ones that i love to listen to the most i always think of like warren zevon's excitable boy that's one of those albums that's like 29 30 minutes something like that and it's just perfect like there's no need anything else yeah yeah i think um dylan's national skyline Oh, right, yeah. exactly. I think it's like 28 minutes. It, yeah. But every track is money, man. Like it's just money and it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's just it just hits the sweet spot. It's just on that sweet spot of the bat. Dylan was the master of like the 10 tracks. He, it seemed like he always was just putting 10 songs on an album, especially once like the 70s and later. Yeah. He just he just was like, "Yeah, we'll just do the 10 songs and then we'll get out of here." <laughs> he he like never overstayed his welcome. Uh yeah. You know, it's just kind of one of the things he was gifted at, I think. It's just a good, it's a good, it's a good pace, you know, you know where the halfway point is, all that. So, but it, you know, if you, if you had to narrow it down, I mean, if you had, if you had that record and, and, you know, you had to choose just one song, I mean, what, what song is, is the masterpiece on that album and what song, I'm curious as to what songs have been the masterpieces on latter-day Bruce albums, in, in your opinion? I mean, Western Stars, You're Working on a Dreams, uh, 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 you know, Wrecking Ball, obviously. There's, yeah. um, oh, my God. I'm Magic. And Magic. High uh, Hopes. High Hopes. I'm, yeah, High Hopes. I'm That's thinking. the one you were forgetting. Um, yeah. the, the masterpiece on this one, I think I probably would say it was Rainmaker. That's the one that really knocked me out. Mm-hmm. the most and i and it's kind of the one i keep going back to yeah uh 
so that would probably be my pick for this one. Western Stars, I really, I love Tucson Train. I do too. It's one of those tracks I could just listen to. I think it's oh. it's so good. It's not saying anything, you know, really crazy deep or anything, but it, there's just a real emotion and feeling in it, and the sound of it is just perfect. It's, it's just it's flawless. He yes. nails the whole vibe of what he's going for in the West, and you know, great stuff. I, uh, High Hopes, I, I feel like, is a little bit underrated. I, I really on that album, um, I really like. You might think it's a little cheesy, but I like the wall a lot. And I, I think like the wall. Something gets me on that track because, you know, my grandpa was in Vietnam and yeah. he has this he has this painting of the wall at his at his house. And, you know, it's got the guy leaning against the wall and like in the reflection of the wall, you see the guys who died. And it's mm. just a really nice painting. And I think of that every time I hear that song. Mm, yeah. And I think it's a beautiful song, the image of like the cigarettes sitting yeah. at the wall and it's a great song. I just think yeah. that's one of those uh, that that Bruce really nailed what he was going for. I like Hunter of Invisible Game a lot from that album. Yeah, I was going to say Hunter of Hunter of uh, Invisible Game and uh, Harry's Place. I love Harry's. Harry's Place, Place is cool. That's Harry's great, Place. man. You get to hear Bruce say "fuck" too, which is always kind of a fun thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he does say "fucking." That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's that's, true. That's kind of a nice little juvenile thing to uh, get excited about. But <laughs> it's like hearing your dad curse or something. I mean, it's kind of right. it's kind of right. fun. <laughs> it's like he's a he's a human being. You don't fuck with Harry's money, you don't fuck Harry's girls. These are the rules. This is the world. Wrecking Ball had a few of them. I thought I, I really liked uh, Easy Money a lot. I liked um, We Are Alive was great. Yeah. Uh, the title track was fantastic. Uh, I like Jack of all trades. There's a bunch of really good ones on. on do do uh, you on, on wrecking ball? Do you feel like here's the thing? I prefer that version, the studio version of um, land of hope and dreams to I the don't. live version. Really? No, no way. Love the live version. That's the oh, one man, that I, brings me to tears almost every time I hear it. Really? I oh my yeah. gosh. See, I just thought they, man, I thought they just, they, they chopped it up just enough. I thought they really streamlined it in the studio and the way they worked in Clarence's sax parts, I that I, was nice. I love that studio version. I liked it more than sort of that broad E Street version live. No, that that live version to me, like I cherish it. It's absolutely yep. one of those songs that made me love Bruce Springsteen. That that strictly that live version of uh, yeah. of Land of Hope and Dreams. There's just something about it. I don't know what it is. It it, it just really always connects with me, and I think it it's just a great live performance from I, them so i will say there's a wistfulness in his voice when he sings oh that yeah live. it's so yeah, soft it's, and it's yeah it's, it's great yeah yeah so i would i think in, i would take the live version over but i do like the studio version it's just yeah if i had a you know if i had to pick one i think i'd i think i'd go with that uh you know working on a dream is one of those that i probably don't uh i don't go back to it like ever i, I I like uh, I like Queen of the Supermarket. I like the wrestler. Um, the wrestler, I, really, I, I almost yeah, feel I, like is a cheater because it's it's you know it was for the movie. It wasn't necessarily right. for the record, but right. I always liked uh, Life Itself. I always thought that was that's a good one. Kind of unfairly looked over because I mean well, it's buried kind of in the right middle of no, nowhere, basically. Yeah. The album. Yeah. But, but man, I just think that talk about just evoking a feeling, yeah. you know, like he, he, he gets it there. He gets it. it. That's that again, that's, that's in the sweet spot. So those would probably be the ones I go back to the most. Um, 
on magic I, I was just looking at the tracks real quick so i don't forget anything i really like uh, a gypsy biker i love girls in the summer clothes is one of those that i yeah just kind of have in my head all the time i think yeah um so those are you know a couple of my favorites but I mean, it's definitely not the number of like the masterpieces that you pull off of his older albums, but they're certainly there. I think the gems are really there. Oh, I, yeah, every one of them. I mean, every yeah. one of them has has at least two or three that that you that make you sit up. You know. Yeah, I just gave you two from like every one of those records. So right, yeah, pretty easily. I mean, just with right without you know going back and listening again. But yeah, those are. I mean, he just he's one of the all-time craftsmen so i think it's that's why it happens that way what about seeger sessions i love seeger sessions seeger sessions doesn't uh doesn't move me really? too much i, I okay. like it but i don't i don't really go back to it it's a little i don't know what it is about it like it it just got that nanny feel yeah it doesn't do it for me i don't know it's like it's too it does sound like you're stomping your feet too much it's like hill folk music or something and it's <laughs> it's exactly what it is that's I exactly right i just don't really go in for that too much i don't know what it is it doesn't <laughs> i like oh mary uh, don't you weep no i like pay me my money down <laughs> yeah um that's probably my favorite that's the one that i i do go back to on that album but i like shenandoah it, it's yeah. cool i mean i like the fact that you know they're in ireland and you know he's doing it with this great kind of like irish band but yeah not though that that record doesn't do it for me too much that's funny man What else you got, brother? That does it on my end. Oh man! So did we did we uh, slobber on Bruce enough for everybody? You think? Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to be objective. I was trying to be objective. <laughs> I mean, you just. I mean, the thing about it is, you, you just know the the dude, the dude fucking means it. You know, and, and that's he tries. All, that's all you're yeah. asking for. That's yeah. all you ever want. And you know, I mean, you know, you can trace, you can trace the band back. It's just the band is just the band, and it's. It's rock music, man. It's just good, yeah. freaking durable rock music. And I feel like these days, man, you just don't hear enough of or you clearly don't hear enough of it if you hear any of it at all. He's one of the few artists where I say to people, like, if you're not, like, because you look at his catalog and it could be a little intimidating, yeah. even though he doesn't have as many albums as, you know, some other artists of his day. He's been a little bit more selective, but it can be overwhelming to be like, where do I even start? But I just feel like if you have a chance to see him live, he's one of the few guys I would say, even if you don't know his music that well, like go see him live first and you yeah. will become a fan of his and you will go home going like, okay, I need to like listen to everything he's ever done because he just, he, he means it. Like you said, he wants to, he wants to give you something every time he performs. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's not he's, just trying to take your money, you know? No, no. He's, he's the real thing, man. He's, he's the genuine article. And so that's, that's, that's why we love it. That's why so many people do worship the guy because he, he gives you something and he tries he's working to his ass something. off. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. I mean, literally, you know, on, on, on stage and, you know, I think he does a lot of soul searching. I think when he puts out an album, it's, it's okay here. I, I think you'll get something from this. You know, yeah. I think you'll, you'll you'll be able to chew on something here and that's a cool feeling 
Okay, let me, uh, before I get to the best thing I watched this month and the movies that are now streaming, I wanted to ask you a few questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Since we just, as we're recording this, we're coming up, we're a couple days away from Christmas. And when you listen to this, it'll be after Christmas and could be after the new year. But still, I I think, you know, we're we're just consumed by the Christmas season. And I don't know, but I've been, I don't know about you, but I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music on like Sirius XM over the last month, just for some reason, it's just kind of been getting me through this month. I, they have a great <laughs> selection of different channels. and But I wanted to ask you, because it's something we have like never talked about. Do you have like Christmas songs that huh. are like your favorite Christmas? Like, like what's your favorite go-to Christmas song? Do you really have one? My, my favorite, I get you definitely. My favorite is, um, um, Merry Christmas, baby. Please come home. Darling love. Oh man. Yeah. That, Iconic. That, that is that, that'll, you know, just the majesty, you know, the majesty and the Phil Spector, the Wallace Sand, just her voice. I mean, her voice is just, I mean, you know, cut through glass, you know, and it's yep. just amazing. So much power, so much power, you know, I mean, that's, that's like a Hemi engine, her voice. I mean, it's amazing. It's funny because my, I think my favorite Christmas song, at least up there, is Darlene Love's uh, Marshmallow World from the same album. <laughs> I, I love yeah. her version of that song. It just, to me, it, it's so fun. And it's just, yeah. she just sings the shit out of it. And again, the wall of sound is there. And it's just a like a, a silly kind of song, but it's just cool. It's It's funny that we both go with a Darlene Love. Uh, yeah, song. she just yeah. kind of nailed Christmas, I think, with her. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's just you know, it's it's. I think it's the it's power in her voice, but it's also just pristine. It's power and it's also pristine. Yeah, which is a a, a cool combination, you know. It, yeah, she's a pro. I mean, she doesn't. Oh uh, God, she's the best. She's it, the best. Yeah. You know the the other stuff. I mean, I love. Yeah, I I, I bought the album. Uh, earlier this year but the um the soundtrack to a, a charlie brown christmas it, i i love that stellar all that, the way that, through that is so i mean i used to play songs from that on uh, the the college radio show i did you know when yeah. i was playing jazz stuff after yeah, midnight, payola? but yeah payola radio those yeah. songs just sound great late at oh, night it doesn't man. even matter if it's christmas time a couple of those you can play anytime it just, I, I listen to that 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 music and it just evokes like the smell of pine like a christmas tree it really <laughs> does. like i just <laughs> it just puts me there it just puts me there. i love that um here, here here's one I'll, I'll i'll throw at you what do you think of the song uh happy christmas war is over john lennon and, and yoko i love that song i just think it's so it's a little snide Oh, for sure. But it's a little, it's, I I know it's, and and Yoko, I mean, they, I I know, but when people play, when you hear it on Christmas stations, I think it's a really weird fit to play like next to even, you know, Paul McCartney's wonderful Christmas time, which I, I I always love, like, if you, if you don't know McCartney and you don't know Lennon, like (laughs) those two songs tell you everything you need to know about both of them. (laughs) 
you're all right. you need to know is you're all you need right. to listen to is wonderful christmas time by mccartney and happy <laughs> xmas by lennon and you'll know the reason why these guys didn't work together for longer than 10 years because they right. just see, saw the world in completely different ways totally and i yeah lennon was famously kind of an asshole and dismissive oh, of, of everything but I think that song really is trying to say something, and I think it's got more feeling in it than most Christmas songs that you hear. You're probably right. You're probably right. It just always it just always feels out of place when I hear it. It does within yeah. the context of you know, or like within a Christmas playlist or something or like a block of Christmas songs. It just it just you know. It's kind of like, do they know it's Christmas? That uh, the like live aid. That's I hate that song because it's just it's so condescending. It's like they they just it's all these like rich British rock stars. They they think that no one in Africa can read a calendar. Like they have no clue that it's December twenty fifth. Like they they don't even know it's Christmas because it's not snowing there. I mean, it's just how stupid and how condescending can you be? I know, uh, man. I know. Uh, yeah. So I, so I think Lennon was actually saying and it was more with his song than that big charity you know, <laughs> track was. God. But uh, Lennon was basically just ripping everybody for not living up to the ideals of what the Christmas season is supposed to be about. And, you know, that's, he was he was wagging the was he was wagging the finger yeah yeah he was, I, you know. the only the only part I don't like about that song is the the part where they're like whispering to each other and it's like Merry Christmas John Merry Christmas Yoko. <laughs> I don't like that part. That's a little weird. Right at the beginning. Right <laughs> yeah, at the beginning. That's that's weird. Merry but the Christmas rest John. of it, it's, that's just it classic John and Yoko. I totally, totally self-indulgent. Little self-involved for sure. I also love Dean Martin. Any of his Christmas stuff. I love uh, Silver Bells. I've always been a big yeah. Silver Bells guy. I don't know why. I just love that song. And it, I think I realized something kind of sad about myself this year that I actually like the version of Sleigh Ride where they they have lyrics in it better than the instrumental version i know really? it's a hot take but uh, wow yeah, that is, I like that the is a hot take <laughs> I like really the lyrical version better <laughs> really i don't know wow. why i think i like the instrumental version yeah everyone like likes the instrumental version yeah. better but i i think i like the vocal version better. What, what why why tell me why, why I have is that no idea it's just like it's it's just like fun and the lyrics are kind of you know they were those lyrics that were written like after the instrumental was done so it was like we have to come up with some words to go with this song <laughs> right. and they totally feel that way so they're kind of shitty but it, <laughs> it it works i don't know it's just silly and it's christmas so you know i i love i love silent night silent night's a song that is just so beautiful i mean it, you know that that's like a hymn i mean it's so beautiful yeah it depends on the version you know it's one of those with any christmas song i think Prop, yeah, probably. Depends I mean, on who's doing it, but uh, it's easily you can easily ham it up. You know, as long as you're not hamming it up, as long as you kind of keep it, keep it close. That's to the a pretty vest, serious I, one. Yeah. yeah, I think you're. I think you're. You're okay. I definitely like the sillier ones a little bit more. Yeah, than the heavy ones, but yeah, like, like Beth loves Carol of the Bells. That's her favorite. And I'm just like, oh, it's I love too, it too. It's too grim, man. It's like the minor keys. It's too dark for me. I'm. Yeah, like this isn't know, a Batman movie. This is Christmas. It, it picks up, though. You know, it picks up. It gives you some, gives you some uh, oomph. Some you know? pep. <laughs> there's some, there's some oomph in there. There's some power behind it. All right. What, what's your favorite Christmas movie, though? I think this is something that we've never. I don't think we've ever talked about mm. Christmas movies. Like, what's the one that you like the most? Oh, Home Alone. Is it? That's I yeah. Mean, come on, I that's mean, the nostalgia. Just, it's oh, I, I just so many memories tied to it you know i just yeah. i yeah home alone i really like it scrooged 
I have never seen it. I think I'm going to finally watch it this year. I've never seen that movie, if you can it's, believe it's, it. It's really funny. It's really funny. Total vehicle for Bill Murray. Yeah. But there's like this, there's this, the long, there's a long scene at the very end of the film, kind of like the, the, the you know, the concluding shot or scene or whatever, where, it, I mean, it will warm your heart. It just, it just always <laughs> gets me, you know? It just right. always, it's just such a redeeming scene you know that I, uh, I think you'd really like it it's bill murray at his his most sincere and but still bill murray um i i think you would like it i think you okay. really would yeah i'm gonna watch that, it yeah i yeah, just never gotten around to it i don't know why yeah um, it's fun i'm a big home alone guy too my favorite i always talk about the muppet christmas carol oh that's just the, watch that dude that's the best christmas oh. movie bar none for me i just think My, michael kane yes. talking with the muppets like how can you beat that oh, uh katie and i just watched it we put up the christmas tree then we watched uh muppet christmas carol it's and so it good. is such a a delightful film funny the songs are great it yeah. was uh you know, it was directed by Jim Henson's son, like right, right after Jim Henson had died. So it's just a beautiful, there are, there are parts in that movie that, that bring me to tears too. It's really touching the, the tiny Tim stuff. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's Miss Piggy and Kermit, but it's like, really, you feel it. Like it's just well done. It's serious. It, it's it, 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 incredible. It's an incredibly classy movie. It, it so is. much so much heart. Michael so Caine does heart. a really good job too. I think. Uh, oh, he plays it. He plays it straight. Yeah, he's a great he straight. So I, I yeah. love that one. I'm glad you. Uh, was that Absolutely. the first time you had seen it? Oh no, no, that one goes okay. back to okay. childhood as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used to love that one when I was a kid, but a lot of yeah. people missed it for some reason. But yeah, I, I wore the VHS tape out on that. Yep. One. <laughs> so did, yep. Yeah, we did at my house too. Love. Did you it. watch? Did, were you a big uh, Santa Claus fan with Tim Allen? Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, I liked that I one like too it. when I was a kid. We rewatched it again the other day and it, it's still pretty funny. I mean, yeah. um, you know, Tim Allen, it's kind of hard to separate him from that's like, that's the yeah, him politically at this point. He's just made right, that such a part of his life. But he, Right. I, I I think maybe that's just it. Like he he kind of gets on my nerves now where I used to just think he was so funny. Me too. Yeah, I loved Home Improvement. I uh, Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I mean Buzz Lightyear. I mean, he's he was great uh, yeah. in the nineties, but He's kind of insufferable now, but uh, Santa Claus yeah. is, is still holds up. Still pretty funny. There's a Santa lot of Claus fat jokes funny. in it though, which which don't really fly so well. <laughs> Ow, I was I was shocked how many fat jokes there were. In it. Um, are, are are you are you into like you know? I think about the real popular Christmas movies. I think about Christmas Vacation. I think about I love Elf. Christmas Vacation too. It's really good. Do, do you like Elf? I I nah, I'm not big on Elf. It's something about Will Ferrell. He's not. He doesn't do it for me. He's just not He's my guy. Uh, yeah, it's just something that I don't like about Will Ferrell. What about um, uh, Miracle on 34th Street? I like Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, I've only seen the original. I haven't seen the uh, the one that was in the 90s. But, uh, oh, yeah, I like Miracle on 34th Street. That's a really good one. I, I love the shop around the corner, the Jimmy Stewart uh, yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, they remade as – what did they remake that as? Uh, You've got mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. But That's the, right. Yeah. But the Jimmy Stewart ones at Christmas. Uh, I don't remember if that one was, but um, that's a great movie. 
it's a wonderful life is really good. I was going to ask about, yeah, it's finally watched that last year for the first time and really loved it. Um, yeah, that was good. I've never seen miracle on 34th street all the way through. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never seen the whole thing. Yeah, it's good. The ending is good. It's uh, I mean, it builds to that whole courtroom thing. It's got a a good little courtroom drama thing. going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I'm trying to think of other Christmas movies. I mean, they're, you know, a Christmas story. I mean, that's, uh, Oh, I like it. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Uh, it's almost played out at this point, but it's, it is good. I mean, it's funny. It, it is funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just um, down to earth and, you know, relatable. Everybody can kind of relate to it. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Just the awkwardness of growing up and the, uh, I think it crosses that generational, shining, that uh, shining moment of the promise that Christmas holds when you're a kid, you know, yeah. Christmas is always a game changer. Exactly. He's he's counting on it being a game changer. And even if it wasn't like the BB gun, everybody can relate to some gift that they just were dreaming of all year and to, you know, the elation of getting it. And um, what was yours? Mine was definitely the Super Nintendo. That was the one that I just like, that was all I wanted. And I got it and I still to this day, like every year at Christmas, I thank my mom. Like I tell her that that's still the greatest gift anyone's ever gotten me at any time. Like nothing has ever brought me more joy. I think I got like five solid years of just playing that thing every day. <laughs> that was, it's funny you say that. Cause I think mine was the uh, Nintendo 64. Oh, that's a good I, one. That was a good oh, one too. I, I was just, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I yearned for it. I dreamed about it. I had to have, I, I had gotten, you know, I had gotten a super Nintendo and I loved it, you know, but like, Oh my God, this Nintendo 64 was a total fucking game changer. Like, I was like <laughs> really? Oh my God, Holy shit. This thing's insane. <laughs> and I have never been, I have never been more elated in my life than when I opened up, uh, opened up that 64, man, that, 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 that flipped the world upside down, man. Pretty hard to beat. Everybody's yeah. got one. So I think that's yeah. the great thing about the, the Christmas story. It's just, I, I think if no matter what race you are, no matter what generation you grew up in, there's something in that movie that you can kind of relate to. Right. Maybe unless you're like super rich, because I do think you had to have grown up a little bit blue collar to get that movie. Um, but it kind of just appeals to everyone. That's why everybody loves it so much. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. There's I something, totally agree. There's just nothing elitist about it at all. Like, it's just all accessible. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. the word. That's what yeah. makes Christmas Vacation so good, too. I mean, like, it, who can't enjoy this? It's <laughs> Chevy Chase at his best. It, it, Christmas Vacation really is funny. It's one of those, that, you know, I do feel a little like, oh, God, I mean, okay, all right, I've seen this. Uh, all right, I've, I've been there. And done, but... But then again, every time I see it, I stop to watch it. I so. quote every single line every time, and I never get tired of it. And I sing along with Mavis Staples on the the, the opening theme song. <laughs> it is Mavis Staples. That's God. a good song. It's, it is. I'd yeah. like to hear that on the radio a little bit more. I would too. Underrated <laughs> track, the Christmas Vacation theme song. It is. I wanted to ask you also, getting away from Christmas stuff, just in the last year, was there a movie that you watched for the first time this year, not necessarily a new movie, uh, that you that like immediately fell into your favorites if, if you had one of those? Yeah, there are a few. There are a few. W- one is Mank. I would put that, really? that would up there. Oh, yeah. Um, another one is The French Connection. I had never seen that before. Oh, man. I, and William I, Friedkin. I, oh, I just ate it up ate it up loved it friedkin just could really do no wrong in my book yeah i mean i, I just you know hackman and roy scheider i mean i i 
absolutely loved it. You ever pick your feet in Poughkeepsie, whatever it is that he says? <laughs> pick your toes and pick your toes in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, Quiz Show was another movie that oh, I saw this year that I loved. Yep. That's um, a good one. That was uh, Robert Redford, right? That was a Redford movie. Yeah. 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 John Turturro, right? John Turturro was in it. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of the, the schlub that they, <laughs> they were trying to yeah. elbow out. Yep. Um, but I love that movie. Um, but there was that. And then there was a film. It, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, uh, an obscure movie, um, but it's called A Simple Plan. And it's I star- that one. Do you, have you seen it? I have not seen it, but that was the one with uh, Billy Bob Thornton, right? Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxton. Uh, I remember and, it, yeah. Um, oh, my God. What was the name? Uh, Bridget Fonda was Bill Paxton's wife. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that I... Late, late 90s? Yeah. 96, 98, something like that. Okay. You know, uh, it, it, I I was... I love that movie. I mean, talk about... I've never seen sti- it. Yeah, A situation that goes from bad to worse. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, oh, oh. It just keeps getting worse. The premise is, you know, they're out... You know, they're, they're, I can't remember where they are. They're in some northern state in the middle of winter. There's snow on the ground. Uh, they go out, and, and bottom line is they're, I think they're hunting or something, and they, they find this plane, this small private plane that had crashed in the, the woods where they are. And they look inside to see if anybody needs help, and they find this bag of money. Oh, yeah big bag. what could go wrong right so now they, <laughs> and the premise is okay look it's going to be this is where the title comes from right it's it's a simple plan we're going to give them you know an x x amount of time see if anybody comes forward to claim the money and if they don't we'll talk about splitting it up and you know because they're all just <laughs> blue co- the, the same thing blue collar working class guys this is life-changing this is money yeah life-changing money and so, but, you know, they want to do the right thing. They want to do the right thing. But then again, you know, they've all got, they've all got things pressing down on them that, hey, this cash would make it a lot, hell of a lot easier. Um, and yeah, it just keeps getting worse. But, uh, but I saw that and I, I really enjoyed it. I got to check that one out. That's, that's uh, one of yeah. those I've never seen. Yeah. Yeah. I think you would like it. I think you would yeah. like it. It's, it's, I mean, I've never seen Bill Paxton in a better role. He's, he's great. Oh, man. This. He's, have you ever seen Frailty? No, no, I haven't. Ooh, that's a tough one. About the same so, time. Really? Because Paxton yeah. was always one of those guys that I could kind of take or leave, you know? I mean, he was, he was, he He's never, like I one mean, of the pretty he solid good, and everything. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. He never like made a statement, you no, know? Yeah, I agree with that. But he's really good in Frailty. He's like the, okay. he like dominates the movie. Yeah, this is, he, he is tremendous in this. Okay. And in a simple plan. Yeah. But what, what are your, what are your favorite when you, when you look back on 2020, we've had a lot of time to, 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 you know, get to know film or different films or new films or rediscover films. Uh, What was it that, that, that worked for you? I actually watched fewer movies this year than I did last year, which surprised me uh, as I was kind of looking at how many I did, but um, there were a few that really jumped to the top of my list of first and foremost was Dr. Sleep. I was talking about it last month on the show and I have continued thinking about it. And I just thought that movie was so well done and was about as good a sequel as you could possibly find, especially to a movie that's so iconic as The Shining. I, I just thought they did everything right. I thought Ewan McGregor gave 
the performance of a career uh, yeah. in a horror movie, which is very rare to see. Um, and he just digs deep in that thing. I just, I, I loved it. I just thought it was a tremendous movie. I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to watching it again. Yeah, that, that came up last weekend. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I was just, again, told how, how great it is, you know? So, I mean, I, I really, I really need to, I really need to get on that and, and, and spend some time with it. Cause I love the shining. The reception to it was really kind of soft, I think, but I, it was, I was, uh, I was blown away. I'm like, why didn't this get uh, more love? I, it was just, it stuck with me. I'm still thinking about it now. You so know it's something, always... it's funny you say that I watched the village, uh, for the first time this year and I really liked it. And I remember talk about a frosty reception. Oh man, it had a bad reception. I think it all had, yeah. I mean, it was not good, but, but man, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I mean, William Hurt, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, it's got a great cast. Yeah, uh, I, Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah, you know? Yep. I mean, I, I liked it. I kind of liked the twist at the end. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I think the problem with that movie, um, I haven't seen it in probably 15 years, but the problem with that movie was that I think Shyamalan had kind of just become known only for twist endings. Yeah, and you're so right. And so then okay. this movie has the twist ending, and, it, and it's a big one. And, yeah. and everyone's like, Oh, you know, I mean, it's not as good an ending as the, as the Sixth Sense, so he's a piece of shit now. And it was almost like he was just making a movie strictly to do a twist ending. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that really kind of tripped him up a little bit because it was what he was so well known for. And yeah. the whole, the, I think the whole tone of it was just kind of like really serious. But yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's the like, it's definitely not as bad as, uh, what was the one he did where the plants were killing everybody with Mark Wahlberg? Um the happening, I think, was what it was. I can't remember. I don't remember that one. That yeah. one was truly just like one of the worst things that, that I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't remember that so, at all. Yeah, and Lady in the Water wasn't very good. So I never saw that. Yeah, those were both bad. So like the village looks like Citizen Kane compared to those. Yeah, no, um, I I thought it was good. I thought that was good. I yeah. think it's better now to watch those movies than when he was like, because he was like the biggest director in Hollywood at that totally. point. People, his movies totally. were an event and. So I think people just were kind of let down because they were expecting another Sixth Sense and it wasn't quite, you know, it's right. hard to duplicate the Sixth Sense. But right, yeah, that's probably one of those that could be revisited. Um, yeah. What else is on your uh, list? Another one from this year that I really love, speaking of horror, was Sleepaway Camp, which I had never seen. Uh, that was another one that just stayed with me, creeped me the hell out. It was so scary, uh, legitimately scary, and just done on like a shoestring budget and – you know, it was a little campy, you know, as slasher movies can often be, oh, yeah. but, but it was legitimately scary. Great atmosphere, good music, um, another great twist ending. Uh, that one really stuck with me a lot, too. When did that come out? God, I think it was early 80s. Okay. Pretty yeah, early in the slasher, yeah. like, wave where right. everyone was making those. It was, but but it was uh, pretty radical. It's a, it's a really unique movie, and like I said, the ending is, is just, everyone talks about the ending in this movie if they talk about anything. And it's one of those that really sticks with you. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, the other one that I would mention that I watched this year for the first time is actually one that you got me years ago was After Hours by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. I just was blown away by that movie. And I was like, how, why did I wait so long to watch this? And <laughs> yeah. why isn't this talked about as far as his greatest? Because it's just got everything. I mean, there's just not a never a dull moment. And it's nonstop crazy shit happening. And uh, it's cr like crafted really well. There's some really good shots in it that are just totally creative. Um, 
And I think it was just Martin Scorsese, like having fun making right. a movie. Right. So I, yeah. How can I, you I, beat that? You know? Oh, I, I, I love after hours. I mean, it's just the people I was, that he, I loved it. Yeah. The people that he meets, you know, over oh, the man. course of this night, I, I just, they're all interesting. They're all fun to watch. Every Each one of one's them. kind of better than the last, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You've yeah. got a bunch of, um, you know, just kind of funny people too. Like Catherine O'Hara is yeah. uh, the woman that like wears the rape whistle. And, uh, you know, it's just, yeah. it's great. Like everything that happens is just nuts. Yeah. And all he's trying to do is just get across town. And it's like this Herculean, <laughs> you know, effort to try to do it. So I don't know. I just loved it. I, I thought that movie was amazing. It's a good New York movie. Oh, fantastic New York movie. Without, without, without it, you know, without, uh, you know, being so fucking heavy handed about, you know, you make it here, you make it anywhere. Like that whole thing. No, it's like, no, it's like, this is like the back alleys, weird New York. Like that's what New York is, honestly. It's it's a weird city. It's just a weird thing with all these people. Like in, in, in after hours gets that. It does. Yeah. It's not about like artists and performers and it's just kind of about the people that populate New York and the right. real weirdos that are in a place that's that big, you know, and especially right. when you're, when you're like late at night and you're out on the streets, you're going to see some weird shit. So just a cool movie. I was, oh, I loved yeah. it. I yeah. couldn't believe I'd waited so long to watch it. So that's one that's easy to rewatch. It, yeah, it definitely is for sure. Okay. Let's talk about, let me, let me tell you about the best thing I watched this month. So uh, the best thing that I watched was actually the night after I watched Mank, I was like on Netflix and it said, you know, it brought up the, the recommended for you kind of things. And I, and I saw down at the bottom of the screen, the movie Roma, which I had not gotten around to yet. And I had been thinking about for two, three years, it came out in 2018. So a couple of years. And I remember I got all that awards buzz and I just never got around to it. I finally watched it and it was easily one of those 10 out of 10 like just perfect all the way through movies that blew me away it was um i would put it right up there also with the movies that became my favorites this year that i saw for the first time and this was directed by alfonso cuaron he's the guy that did uh he did gravity with uh george clooney that's probably his like the biggest movie he did he did one of the harry potter movies but um he's done a lot of really well received he's one of the best directors working and um, Mexican guy and just uh, just a brilliant director. And this movie's all in Spanish or mostly in Spanish. And it's kind of like a, it's very personal to him. I know it was kind of about his own childhood, but the movie's not about the, the children, like the children are in it. But the movie is about this middle-class family in Mexico City and this like live-in housekeeper that they have. And she's really the main character. She's kind of like the hero of the film, even though there's not really any you know, it's not that kind of movie where there's like a heroic journey or anything like that. It's just kind of a, a slice of life movie. But I just thought it was very beautiful. It was um, arresting. It was mm. kind of shocking at times. Um, and just the mm. work of a of a master. And that's what Corona is. So, and I was also blown away by how feminist this movie was because really every character who matters in this movie or shows any strength of character whatsoever is a woman and is a complex woman and not just some sketch of a character and and the relationships are complex in it um like the relationship between the matriarch of the family and the housekeeper but it's a really like a good relationship in the end that is ends up being really rewarding uh, instead of being reduced to kind of 
easy stereotype. So I was just hooked from the jump. I, I thought it was tremendous. And I thought it was like Mank, the kind of movie that only Netflix would allow somebody to make because it was, again, it was in black and white. It's like two and a half hours long. It's about this guy's own life. Um, so it's really personal. And I just can't imagine a bigger, like a big studio putting this in theaters and being like, you know, spending a lot of money on it, but uh, Netflix did. And it's, it's great. It's uh, I, I was blown away by it. So I, was, I remember uh, when that came out, it got, uh, that got a lot of buzz. It that did. Got... Yeah. It was nominated for like 10 Oscars or something. And uh, I can definitely say, I think it was deserving of those. It was, I just, I was blown away by it. Um, okay. So a few movies now streaming, I want to recommend to you. Let's see if you've seen any of these, if you have any thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. I always like to give you something funny and something serious. Let's start on Netflix. So something serious for you. I'm going to just say Roma because like I said, it's tremendous. And if you want to watch it, it is very serious and very, very good. Uh, Though uh, on Netflix, something funnier from 2017, Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird is Mm, on there. And that's one of the best movies of the last decade. Just yeah, uh, it's really good. Funny, um, poignant and Saoirse Ronan was just tremendous in it. So uh, great movie. How about uh, on Amazon Prime? Let's go with something funny on there from 1989. I want to, have you ever seen Weekend at Bernie's, Andy? (laughs) Yes. Are you a Weekend at Bernie's guy? Yeah. When I was a kid, this was one of those movies that I watched all the time. I loved it. Oh, Uh, it's physical comedy at its best. So stupid. The premise is probably the worst premise like in movie history. Um, (laughs) But, and it's one of those you just have to see to believe that they pull it off. But it is funny and it's so 80s. And it's just totally. so carefree. And Andrew McCarthy, do you remember Andrew McCarthy? Like, whatever happened to him? He was the biggest that, actor in the 80s. That dude had a moment. He was in St. Elmo's Fire. I yeah. mean, those are those He was in huge. all kinds of, he was in yeah. um, uh, Bright Lights, Big City with That's Michael right. J. Fox. That's right, yeah. A lot of good movies back yeah, then. He's in a but, bunch uh, of good stuff. Weekend at Bernie's, he was like the star of it. And uh, I don't know whatever happened to him, but uh, I guess that was like his last movie. <laughs> I, I, well, I think they made a sequel. He's in the sequel. Oh, they he? did. That's right. Yeah, he was in that too. They went back to the well. They, I mean, they they brought like a voodoo doctor in to like resurrect Bernie, <laughs> and like he, he was like walking around like a zombie. Oh man, so bad. It's got to be like the worst sequel. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, Weekend at Bernie's is streaming on Amazon. If you want something funny to make you forget about 2020, that's uh, my that's my pick for you. It's, it's a good one to watch with the family too. Like if you're if you if you are with your family over the holidays, or yeah, if you just need, you know, some some distraction, it's a good it's a good you know, time out of mind. Movie. Dude, no one's gonna get mad at you if you say let's let's turn on Weekend at Bernie's. Like no one's gonna say no. Come on, You'd be the if, hero. If you would, it's a great pick. Um, that's a that's actually a great choice. If you are with family, turn on Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, something serious on Amazon for you. Uh, I know it's one of your recent favorites, Andy. 1991's Boys in the Hood. Oh, Absolutely. that actually that that that's probably my favorite movie of the year that I watched this year. Incredible movie. Yeah, that's blows probably... me away every time I watch it. Yeah, it's it's a that's a great choice. Uh, that one is yeah. streaming on on Prime. If you've never seen it, just watch Boys in the Hood. I mean, it, it uh, you know kind of invented the the genre of of like the the modern day like kind of black street gangster movie uh, as far as being a big mainstream kind of thing that studios would do and it's just a great story brilliant performances Lawrence Fishburne one of his uh, one of his best roles it's it's just a great movie such an endearing performance from him yeah really I it's mean, one of the truly best fatherly, fatherly in exactly that film. yeah perfect perfect casting um, all right let's go to Hulu 
something funny for you from 2018 love simon this was a movie that i think i almost had on my 10 best movies of the decade list but it didn't quite make the cut i know i had it in my 10 favorite movies of that year um and it's just a really good romantic comedy but uh done through the lens of um a, a high school kid who is just kind of realizing that he's gay so he's like you know and he, and he hasn't come out yet so it's it's a really interesting way to view the romantic comedy it's kind of a way that i had never seen it done before mm. um especially the high school romantic comedy and it's just got great characters and it's really funny really well written um cool movie uh, came out 2018 love simon if you want to see something funny from hulu uh something serious if you have if you have 10 hours to spare this weekend why don't you watch the lord of the rings trilogy uh all three of them are streaming for you on hulu and those movies are great i don't know if you were you a big fan of the lord of the rings movies i did like them yeah yeah i'm not i, I was never a huge fan um but i definitely i mean they're, they're compelling i mean that's compelling filmmaking just think it's it's kind of in a league of its own as far as the scope and and just that god i mean they, they yeah. tell such a big story even in three hours which is a long movie but it's not like there's probably enough story in this movie for like a, a tv series i mean but it, it's such a I, I just those movies were such an event and i think they were so well done especially the first and the third one um really good if, if you've never seen them i think if you sit down and watch the first one you will immediately be like oh, i gotta watch the other two the first one I loved. The first one I loved. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just, it's just that old, you know, sometimes for as inventive as it was, it was still just the arc, you know, kind of like the arc of a good story that, that kept you invested. You exactly. Know? It wasn't the rest the was, was yeah. uh, right. I mean, that was all great. Like that was all just a tremendous compliment to what was just kind of like, the old story of a journey, you know, exactly. it was the old journey story, exactly. you know, it, yeah. it's, and it still works. It, it does. There's not really much of a crazy story there. It's a pretty simple story, but it's just all so well made. It's like, they just took it so seriously and the whole cast is right. great. And it's a huge cast and just big time movie making. Big time movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Blockbuster stuff. So that's uh, but like, those... but about serious, about serious subject matter. Yeah, exactly. I'd, so I'd throw that trilogy at you if you want to, if you've never gotten around to them, you have some time off or something for the holidays, throw on the Lord of the Rings movies. I think uh, you'll, you'll end up really liking them. Um, and finally, on HBO Max, they have a good selection of movies on there. Something funny. I'm going to go to 1942. Here's a classic. The Man Who Came to Dinner. If you're looking for another good Christmas movie, this was Betty Davis. Um, and it's just got kind of one of the most unlikable main characters at its heart and um just ends up being a really funny and endearing movie and again it comes from that time period of when herman mankowitz was in hollywood and and you had these screenwriters who were just so witty and just great at writing fast-paced dialogue and these directors that were cranking out seven movies a year and they were just such <laughs> everybody was such a pro back then um that you can't even imagine now and this is one of those great movies from that era have you ever seen that the man who came to dinner I've not seen it. That's no. a good one. If, if you're looking for a new Christmas one, uh, check that one out. I think you'll like it. Uh, finally, I wonder if you've ever seen this one. 1994's The Crow is also on HBO Max. You ever watch The Crow? Yeah, that's a bugged out film. It is. Just like this was in the early days of comic book adaptations, and there really hadn't been that many of them done. 
Um, but everyone was starting to do them after Tim Burton's Batman came out and like blew right. all the box office records away. And The Crow is really cool. Like it looks like a comic book and it's just all so pitch black. It's, it's rated R. Um, so it was like definitely not for kids. It's the storyline in it is really pitch black too. Um, and Brandon Lee is just really cool in it. I mean, the guy died making the movie. So it's like legendary. I mean, and he got killed on the set, you know? It's, so, it's it, it, yeah, it is, man. That's a grim, that's a grim picture. That's, that is perfect. It. You're right. It, it's, it's perfect around Halloween. I watched it, not, it wasn't this year. So was it last year? I don't think I was in Cleveland yet. So it may have been a couple of years ago. Um, but I watched it around Halloween time. You know, yeah. because I, I had heard of it and it looked weird and I was kind of in the, the mood for like, give me some weird, you know, like sometimes you just need it's like, definitely weird. like, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go out there. You know, I'm ready for that. And it definitely, <laughs> definitely delivered. It's just, yeah, like you say, it's dark, it's gory, it's grim. It's not, I mean, it's just, it's just I, I, slimy, greasy, dark. It is. Filmmaking, man. It's a cool, it's a cool movie. It is cool. And, and I guarantee you, you've never seen anything like it. I mean, yeah, you know, you can I see, agree. you can tell what came after it. Like you can tell, like, you know, I bet Rob Zombie's seen that movie because his shit <laughs> yeah. looks a lot like that, you know, but I mean, but there's something about that, that, that movie as a singular thing, you know, that there's no before there's no after that's not part of a franchise. It's just, you got what you got, you know? Yeah. That's right. And it's a, it's a really neat, just cool, just cool movie uh, yeah. that came out kind of at the beginning of the comic book movie phase so, or craze. Yeah. So yeah, I think you should check out The Crow if you never watched it. It's definitely not a Christmas time movie, but you'll still like it if you like that kind of thing. Yeah. Doesn't matter what time of the year, but you're right. It is a perfect Halloween movie. I think it's because it's like on Devil's Night, right? It's the night after Halloween, I think, and or, I or the night before Halloween or so. I can't remember what Devil's Night is, but yeah. Um, it's in Detroit and like the whole city's right. burning and right. just a, this is a cool movie. Well, that's, that's going to do it, man. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add here? I got nothing, man. That three hours flew by. <laughs> You're not kidding. This good, is, luck, uh, gonna, good luck editing that. Set a new record here <laughs> for our listeners. Well, uh, we appreciate you listening to us. Um, if you want to uh, check me out on Instagram, I'm at Mr. Clint Davis. Andy is there. Uh, are you just at Andy Sedlak, right? Yeah, that's it. All right. And if you want to hit me uh, on an email, you can write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. And uh, Andy is at sedlackjournal at gmail.com. Well, my friend, it's, uh, it's great to finally see you and get to talk a little bit this year. Absolutely. It's, let's, uh, you know, we'll get our vaccines when we can get them. And, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to do this in person again uh, in the not too distant future. I'd love it, man. We can get together and watch Heat uh, again. Heat, yeah, absolutely. Heat, and we gotta, we gotta go back and listen to that, uh, that, that Dylan bootleg of yes. Sweetheart Like You. You gotta, you gotta hear that. I'm, you have got to hear it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'd be fun. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you next time, my brother. All right, man. See you. Have a good Christmas. All right, thank you guys for listening, and uh, until next time, stream on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.